Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, the show where we give you the tools you need to uh, live longer and love stronger. We also talk about leadership. You got to lead the ones you're with, right? Who else are you going to lead? Welcome to the program. So good to be with you. James is out today little under the weather in filling in for James on the keyboard we like to call it like we're a band like Brandon Bishop's on the keyboard singing baritone what do you sing Brandon baritone a little baritone yeah. action nailed it Terry's also in the house I sing flat out I of sing tune. flat I sing flat sharp and sharp flat I usually just sit there I don't sing were you guys singers I was a I don't want to brag but I was a madrigal I was in the Madrigal. I was a troubadour, so Ooh. same same sort of camp. Isn't a troubadour yeah. a hat? Yeah, we we wore troubadours. Did you? Uh, yeah, so, that's so you know you were bad to the bone. Yeah, you know nothing. <laughs> can, can you be bad to the bone and be in choir? <laughs> I, I nothing oozes bad to the bone more than the Madrigals and the troubadours. All you need is a leather jacket and a troubadour. Oh yeah, that's it. We rocked it. So true. You could be an athlete. That's pretty studly. Or you could be a troubadour. A troubadour. You got to play to your talent. You always play to your that, strengths. That's the rule of the sh- of our show. We always play to your talent or your lack thereof. We got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about drones. You know, I don't know if you know this, but not all drones are here to bomb you and to survey you, surveil you. No, some are just to uh, fly around and some are look you know stuff. Some are those little crazy airplanes that people fly from Radio Shack. Well, not anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah. From what used to be. Uh, previously known as Radio Shack. What, whatever the market that killed Radio Shack, that's where you're getting those from. <laughs> We're going to talk about dronage. We're also going to get into, uh, did you know that being lonely could actually kill you? Would you ever believe that loneliness is just as bad for you as obesity or smoking 15 cigarettes a day? I believe it. <sighs> no, by the way, you want to really kill yourself? Be lonely and smoke and be overweight. The trifecta. You're probably going to die three different ways. That's where there's video games and online friends. That's right. And TED TV. I've fallen in love with TED TV. I, I, already, I was already in love with it. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm re-in love. I have a hard time. You click on a TED Talk, they're like 30 minutes. Well, no, some are six. Eh, most I see are long and involved. And you can even say, hey, I only have five minutes. Wow me. They have, they have one that you just hit a button that says, wow me. Wow me. And it'll just play some incredible thing where a guy plays a flute out of his nose. Wow. wow. That would make me say wow. I just Nasal flutes. You know what? I just watched a bunch of uh, TED Talks uh, where they were all beatboxing. So I've decided I'm going to pick no, up beatboxing. No, Are you no. sure that's not YouTube? That sounds a lot like YouTube. No, yeah, yeah. no, it, no does. it is. Not, it's not YouTube. It's it's TED. It's actually TEDx. Well, TEDx, yeah. So TEDx is maybe a step down from TED.com. TEDx is the new YouTube. Like it really is. You heard it here first. But be, beatboxing. The, the, junior, the junior brother to uh, to the actual TED Talks. Yeah, it's like Ted Junior. Yeah, it's where they do those t- the the beatboxing. Yeah, but that's hip. That's hot. Please don't beatbox. I'm going to start beatboxing. No, 
Hey, by the way, tonight I got a big night planned. I'm setting up my basketball hoop. Okay. And I don't know if you know this. I'm not real handy. Kind of so felt I, that may have been I the issue. I borrowed my neighbor's ladder. He has uh, a ladder. I can't remember what it's called. It's it's like one of the greatest ladders on earth because it folds 500 different ways yeah. and it does everything but milk the family cow. Those are great ladders. Yeah. And and you were going to get confused. I got my ladder and now I've got to go take apart my other hoop and then I'm putting up my new hoop and then my children will love me. In that order. Whatever you need to do to get that love and emotion and relationship with your kids. In fact, I talk, I talk to every one of my kids. Who wants to help me put up the hoop tomorrow? Who Not wants me. To? Not me. And they're all looking at me. Just call me when you're done. Yeah, just text me when I'm I can really play. busy tomorrow. <laughs> oh, whatever. Whatever. Anyway, anything going on in the world? Yes. There's that air, air flight in uh, Germany we talked about at the start of the show people. yesterday. 100, 150 people. Southern French Alps. Have you seen the pictures? Yes. There's nothing left. Obliterated is the word they used. It, it is a pulverized, I saw. Uh, just, there's no fuselage. There's no nothing. wings. There's just, just a debris. A bunch of little pieces. They found one of the black boxes so far. It's damaged. Hmm. But they feel they can uh, possibly find something out. They announced today two Americans on board. Really? Two Americans. They haven't announced their names yet. Hmm. And uh, there's like, I don't know, 15 different countries that are represented. With Germany having a lot, Spain mostly having German, a lot. Germany and uh, German and Spain passports mm. represented. But yeah, just a horrible situation. Not much left of the plane. Tragic. And they are. Uh, it's all just the isolated uh, location of where it's at is making it difficult to get people in there to uh. Uh, start the recovery. So that will that'll be ongoing. Yeah, as we watch what's going on there. Ted Cruz, he announced he's running for president. Yes. Yesterday, he had to announce that he's going to be taking Obamacare. Oh, you know what? Yesterday, so the day before he announced, right? That was, he he announced two days ago. And then yesterday, didn't he have, he had to announce that, he didn't have to. He was called out in an interview about how he's getting his insurance. Insurance. His wife is stepping down from her position at Goldman Sachs. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, with that goes the family's insurance. Yep. So because he's a senator, <laughs> he can. There's a provision that he has to take have some kind of coverage for yeah. his health. He can't just have no no insurance. Yeah. And so he has to. Uh, well, by law, he get has insurance to. through his job. Yeah. Which would be the Affordable Care Act, because they they made, they, they made the rule <laughs> that they couldn't have a separate package if you're in the House and the Senate. You have to have. You know, the the insurance is being provided by the government, and that's the Affordable Care Act, the thing that he tried to shut the government down. To to stop over. that. Yeah. You know what? That is just, I don't know what we call that. That's... Irony? Well, it is irony, but it's yeah. like, it's karma. It's poetic justice, whatever. It's, that had to be his the worst day of his political career yesterday. He says, we will be getting new health insurance. We will presumably do it through my job with the Senate. So we will be on the federal exchange with millions of others on the federal exchange. He even said that's what, that, that was one of the great things about Obamacare is that the U.S. senators get their care through the same system. So they have to go on the exchange to get their care and blah, blah, blah. But he's dying. Now, now yeah, you, you could hear him in the interview trying to figure out a way to not say, yes, I'm doing mm-hmm. this. Yeah. How's he, your Obamacare? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, a new poll released last week found that only about half of Americans are aware that the uh, fines will begin being levied beginning this year on anyone who has not acquired insurance pursuant to the requirements of the Affordable Care Act. So get ready. If you haven't, if you've been dodging it, 
You have to have insurance of some kind. And if, you, if you're not going to get it, it you're, you'll be fined. Through your taxes. But what, didn't some people say that the fine is still so low that it's cheaper than getting insurance? It depends. You have to get, and that, well, that's the other problem is people don't even know this is happening. So how can they make that an informed decision because they don't realize this is kicking in? They postponed it for a year, yeah, and now it's going to kick in. There's a lot of things so, kicking in right now. It's interesting that uh, hmm. administration officials are trying to put up a positive spin on the root surprise in store for the uninformed on tax day. Good hmm. luck with that. Life is good. Heinz and Kraft agree to merge into a single food giant. Did you hear about that? No, but my kids merge Heinz and Kraft all the time. So early Wednesday, yeah, Kraft Food and ketchup giant H.J. Heinz agreed to merge in a deal backed by a Brazilian private equity firm, as all big deals are, uh, 3G Capital, if you want to invest. Yeah. Um, the new company will be called Heinz, or Kraft Heinz Company. Crafty Heinz. And Heinz stakeholders will have 51% of the company. Kraft shareholders will get cash dividends and all the business stuff involved. But it will be the number three food and beverage company in North America and fifth largest in the world, $28 billion in revenue. So this is the merger, if I'm correct, between, uh, isn't it the Patriots owner that owns Kraft? Either he owns it or his family. Yeah. I don't know how involved he so is on a day-to-day. So watch how interesting. This, this is the merger. this is the Patriots and the Steelers, right? Do the Steelers own Heinz? Well, well, I know they play at Heinz the, Field, but no, it's, the it's, Carey, it's Carey. John, John Carey's, Carey's wife, wife yeah. Teresa Heinz, Heinz Carey. Carey. This is the merger of the Boston Careys and the New England Patriots. Which is Boston. Yeah. Isn't that ironic? I don't know. Huh. It seems like I ketchup and cheese, put, but but I now do you put I put ketchup on my mac and cheese? I put it on most things apparently. It just seems to like make everything better, or cover things up <laughs> without having to point that out to whoever it's like, cooked it. Uh, ketchup is America's curry. <laughs> yeah, it's boring curry. Yes, it it's, is. It's the boring curry. Mm. That's cool. Well, that's good news. Uh, you know, if you're into that, that's this is great yeah. news. And it's the same company that headed up the merger of Burger King and Tom Horton. Is that what it's yeah. called up in Tom uh, Horton? Hortons. Tom Horton's Hortons. up in I think Canada. It's Tim Horton. Tim Horton. Tim, Timmy Horton. They they it, it's all about money. It's all, all about, about money. Trying to make the biggest amount of money and save them at the biggest amount of money, taxes, all that kind of stuff. So it's always about the money. We're going to uh, come back and be talking drones, my friends. You know, drones are not just those things over in the military that, you know, fly in and drop bombs. Drones someday, they believe, they project. In fact, the head of Google projects that they'll eventually be uh, flying passengers without pilots. Scary. Interesting stuff coming up, my friends. Uh, We're going to be talking about drones with our next guest, Patrick Egan, right after this break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, well, there's been a lot of news lately, have you noticed, about the drones. 
What's going on with all the drones? You heard about the drone flying into the White House compound, right? That's never good. That's never good. In New York, there were stories of a drone uh, almost uh, flying into a, a passenger airline. So the drones have been getting a bad rap. Right now, we've got a great uh, guest that uh, is here to kind of teach us kind of some of the ins and outs of, uh, of drones. What is a drone exactly? We, a lot of times, we just, you know, we hear about the drone strikes that go on in Afghanistan and over in, um, in Iraq and other places. And, you know, so we always kind of think of it that way, that there's, there's some unmanned, you know, flight dropping bombs on people. Or we are always worried about the fact that these drones might be spying on us. But the reality is uh, even Amazon is really looking forward to having drones, unmanned aircraft, dropping off packages at your doorstep. So they've been pushing really hard on the FAA to, to create some rules around uh, what are the rules around drones so that they could start you know, testing stuff. Our guest today is Patrick Egan, and Patrick Egan is uh, – has has actually done a lot of work with the U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command Battle Lab, investigating solutions on future warfare research projects. Uh, Patrick is also the editor of the America's Desk at SUAS News and the host and executive producer of SUAS News podcast series and Drone TV. Patrick Egan, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And we just need some information. I mean, and you're the guy, right? So here's the question. Drones aren't just to kill people, right? That is correct, sir. Because <laughs> isn't a drone basically, I mean, just an airplane? Couldn't you go to, you know, a hobby center and pick up a, an airplane and a little hobby airplane, you know, build it out, fly it around the park? Isn't that basically a drone? It is, and uh, you know that we we had uh, let's say I went back and forth on the definition with the FAA, and uh, you know you could have an RC plane, just kind of like you're saying, and if you want to do that and fly around for a hobby, then you're just a hobbyist. But if you charge money, um, say for photography or anything else, then that RC aircraft automatically just magically turns into a drone. Oh, interesting. So it goes from remote control to drone the minute you are running a credit card. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, I, I, we always thought that it was kind of strange. I mean, my, my I got into this and I was doing it commercially. So, uh, you know, and then I worked for the military. But, uh, you know, I was out there just, uh, you know, trying to do some aerial photography on basically, which was a remote control plane. And they were like, oh, no, that's a UAV. At the time, it was a UAV. And then it was an unmanned aircraft system. And now we're moving on to the nomenclature of a remotely piloted aircraft system. Huh. But everybody seems to know them as drones. Yeah. And it's so talk about the use of them, um, because like you're talking about using it for video, videography and photography. There's a lot of just real estate agents that want aerial views of the properties they're representing. So so one obvious use of these drones would be aerial photography. What are some other potential uses? I mean, because this is this is a really this is more than just you're going to be spied on. This could actually generate a lot of jobs. This is this could help in a lot of different ways. Well, it, you know, it is, and uh, and in Europe, you know, there's I, I lost track of how many certificated operators there are, but there's there's thousands of them. 
and uh, the operations are legal in Europe. Well, there's a lot of the countries. It's, it's here. I think there's their last count, 29 countries. You can use them legally, and people are using them for oil and gas, uh, exploration, infrastructure, public and private asset management, agriculture, you know, the list goes on. But I will say, you know, a lot of people uh, have just come become aware of drones, but drones have actually been here for quite some time. I mean, it, if you watch, I was just going to say, it's a cheaper way. For, I mean, just as a farmer, you've either got to go get in your truck and go all the way, you know, acres, miles away to get to the other side of your property to see if that gate opened up the water that you needed for ir- irrigation, or you could just fly your drone out there. That is true. That's, that's an application you can use. But, um, you know, I, just say if anybody that watches, if you've watched cable TV, you've seen drone footage. You know, if you've been to the movies, you've seen drone footage. They, they've been here for a while. I've been doing this for about 12 years, 13 years. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there have been people around doing it for longer than I have. And, and so you have to say, oh, okay, well, hmm, you know, they're here. A lot of people, like I said, think, oh, well, the drones just show up. So people are already using them. The other thing is that there's, there's, there's kind of a, um, let's say a lot of people are out there using them, you know, illegally or whatever, and you don't hear about it because they're operating in remote places like farms or, you know, right. in the mountains or, you know, whatever. So they're out there. They're being used. Um, I do think we, we got a little bit of a, you know, bad rap and caught up with the uh, extrajudicial killing machine, as I, I call it, uh-huh. and the predator. Um, you know, for a long time, most people thought that that was, that was a drone. And, you know, when they said, oh, you know, the police are going to use these drones, you know, people were like, mm, I don't want that in my neighborhood, you know. Right. And, but it's not really that, you know, they're, they're not, it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. The, most of the drones that people are talking about using, or even the one that you know, crashed on the White House lawn, <laughs> uh, are relatively small um, systems, you know. They, yeah. they don't have a lot of range or a lot of endurance or whatever, but they, they are useful for, for working. Well, and that's, I guess, I guess what it comes down to, because they're, they're fairly new to everybody. But now it's becoming, now you can hang a video camera on the drone, uh, which means you can, you know, take videos and, and, you know, that could be scary. So it's privacy issues start to come into to account. Also safety issues, which is, I guess, why the FAA has been uh, so gung-ho to, to let, let's regulate this. Let's figure out what the rules are going to be. And um, I know that they just recently put out some new proposed rules, um, I guess, or they're stated these are the rules. What's the what's the what's the basic gist of the of the new guidelines they put out? Well, that's interesting that you say that. Now, you know, this uh, airspace integration for drones has been going on for about twenty three years. Hmm. You know, <laughs> people are like, "Hey, we got these drone rules are coming out." It's been a little while. A lot of people have been talking about it, a lot of questions. Uh, so what happened was we finally, we've gone through this big process, and um, I was on a aviation regulatory or rulemaking committee back in 2008 and we came up with these proposed rules, and that was part of what just came out with the FAA, or what the FAA just put out in the Federal Register. The rules are for the community, I would call them a gift, uh, they're a lot less restrictive than they were talking about when I was on the ARC back in 2008 and 
um, was almost afraid that the rules were going to be so strict that there'd be no business. Yeah. So what you have here is 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 something where they're saying, hey, you know, you can go out here and you can fly in visual line of sight, and it's not really determined. Uh, there are altitude limits and uh, places you can't fly. And the whole idea with that is, is is you know you have to think of the airspace as a as a let's see something that's already occupied by manned aviation. Mm-hmm. And there are rules and all the rest of that. So you can't. I always say it's like you're moving into a neighborhood and throwing a kegger, you know. It's a bad way to get it's a bad, a bad way start. To, <laughs> exactly. You know, hey, uh, yeah, we're here. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of work with the people that are already in that existing space and say, we're, uh, you know, we're here and we want to be responsible, hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so I think that's kind of what's going what's gonna to happen. Um, I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a pushback. There are several camps. There's one camp that believes that that is the rule. You know, there are people, oh, the FAA puts something out. That's the rule. You just fly to that. Yeah. That's not really the case. What happens with that is the notice of public rulemaking. Uh, you have 60 days in this case to comment on that, which is coming up soon. And then they will take all those comments internally, and they have a year to go through all the comments and make sure that everything's addressed and everybody's concerns and all the stakeholders, everybody knows what's going on. Um, and then they can put out the rule or they can put it back out for comment again and then take it back in for, uh, you know, to work through all the comments for another year. So it could be a little while. Yeah, the battle get rules. The battle kind of continues. And um, let's do this. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Patrick Egan about drones and uh, the new FAA guidelines uh, for um, the un what do we call it the the uh, unmanned whatever we're calling it anymore they're drones basically we'll come back talk to and continue our discussion here with Patrick Egan also I want to get into what Amazon's trying to do Amazon's a little frustrated by just how slow this process is going uh, they want to get going they want to get these drones delivering packages to your front door we're going to find out from Patrick uh, what he thinks about that this is the Matt Townsend show trying to give you the tools to uh, help you live and lead your life in a healthier way we'll be right back after this break Townsend Show. Today we're talking about drones with Patrick Egan. Uh, Patrick is the editor of the America's Desk at SUAS News and the host and executive producer of their podcast as well, and Drone TV. He's an instructor for lighter than air ISR systems deployment teams for the for an OSD US Special Ops Command Special Surveillance Project. So he's done this and and has consulted with the military. He also has just worked with farmers. He's used his drone. And when you see his drone, I saw a TEDx talk that was so interesting. um, Because when when you think of a drone, you think of these like military gray airplanes that, you know, cost hundreds of millions of dollars. They're strapped with, you know, missiles. And they just take off and destroy. However... Not Patrick Egan. Patrick has a red, looks like an airplane that he launches from, you know, a trailer. 
And it's it's just really cool to think that, you know, some guy that learns how to fly an airplane, uh, an unmanned airplane with a camera on it, could make a living. To me, this is a really cool thing. And yet we're all very terrified about it. I get it. So, Patrick Egan, welcome back to the show. Thank you, sir. Loved uh, watching that uh, TED Talk of you and just having you contrast the the difference between the military drones that we're all so afraid of and then your drone, which just looked like a simple little airplane. Yes. Well, you know, I use that aircraft. It's actually, I call it the Cracker Barrel. <laughs> and uh, it's got its name through the integration process. People were accusing me of sitting around and just, uh, you know, around the Cracker Barrel. So I was like, well, I'm going to use this as an opportunity uh, to, you know, show people the difference. And the plane that you saw in the um, in the TEDx video is, is the plane that I've used as part of uh, the integration effort with the FAA hmm. when they were talking about regulating drones. I'm like, well, you know, this is my drone here. And as you saw, it's pretty rudimentary. System. Yeah. And uh, I use a spruce stick, and on the side of the spruce stick, I wrote N number here. You know, when the yeah. FAA first saw it, they were like, hmm. Maybe we're we're uh, going a little overboard on, on what we're thinking. Do you, know? do, do you um, think, Patrick? It seems like we we do need to have some regulation, don't we? Because we can't just have these airplanes landing anywhere and flying over. I mean, all of a sudden, someone could fly a drone into a stadium and you know take great pictures. But I mean, so so do you feel, as far as the industry is concerned, there needs to be some regulation? Oh, of course. You know, I mean, any any business. I mean, I can't think of any business that doesn't have some regulation. Right. And you have to have some regulation. Um, you know, even I, I think we're waiting for a, an association. We did start an association back in 2004 and it kind of withered on the vine. But I think another association is going to have to step forward. You're going to at least have to have best practices and like a code of conduct. Yeah. That's developed by people that really use these, and you're going to need something from the uh, from the FAA. There's, you know, you're just going to need that, and and that was something that I learned when I was over in Europe. Is the people that are actually doing it over there are like, oh no, we need some regulation. We don't want some guy who just goes out and buys one of these things. So I can do oil right. gas and wreck it for the rest of us. It seems um, like Europe's ahead of the game. Is that true? I mean, it seems like their their rules are their get their government's kind of more supportive of it. They're a little quicker to respond. Is that true? That is that is true. And even the public over there, people are like, well, you know, it's, it's different than uh, you know America because of our airspace and the way people think. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw that when that uh, Star Trek movie Into Darkness came out. They flew a swarm of thirty-five drones over down over the Tower Bridge in hmm. uh, downtown London. You know, and you're that's like the third busiest uh, airport on the planet. <laughs> right. So you can you can do it. There's been issues here in the United States. And really, we could do a, a whole program on that someday if you wanted to. What happened and how we fell short or helped we fell behind the Europeans. But uh, they had the same information as we did. Uh, same kind of concepts going um, you know, big groups of people working on uh, this stuff over there. I think the UK CAA has been very forward-thinking. They had a CAP 722 document, which, you know, I submitted paperwork to, the same stuff I submitted to the FAA. They have some regs. We don't. So that's that's really a – it would be a conversation for another time because it's really a, a kind of a long one. But, right. Um, it sounds like know, two – 
Well, one thing I was just wondering is it sounds like when Amazon, Amazon's chomping at the bit to get into this market where they can start using unmanned drones, I guess, to deliver their packages. And um, what's your what are your feelings on that? And, and, and what's the what do you see as the future of drone flight when Amazon gets involved, when Google gets involved? What, where do you see this going? Well, you know, they're definitely heavy hitters, and people have uh, taken notice uh, prior to them jumping into this game. Um, you know, drones is a really backburner issue, not that thousands of people weren't flying. I, I, you know, I hope the listeners understand that. We've got, we got thousands, tens of thousands of people that are already flying and doing this as a business. Right. As a business. As a business. And I would say they're anywhere from people that are doing it professionally all the time, doing TV, film, whatever, real estate, um, agriculture, science, you know, uh, climate change data, whatever. It just it keeps rolling. But the thing is that uh, it goes all the way down to what I would call a hobby business guy. And, and you know, that's one thing with the, the remote control community is all these guys that have been putting all the, this money down the black hole of Cal- Calcutta can tell the wife, hey, look, honey, it's a business. I'm making money. So now I'm not, I'm not just throwing this money away. I'm actually doing something productive with it. So you, you, know, you have those guys that go out on the weekend and make money, too. Huh, yeah. Well, but I could see the day, too, that the news stations – show up and uh they used to just show up put up their microwave feed and shoot a live shot i could see the day that they also pull up pull out a drone get the drone in the air start shooting video coverage of the accident well uh actually cnn was getting footage from the when they did the selma walk across the bridge wasn't Mm -hmm. really authorized but they did it anyway so yes that's going to happen the amazon google thing uh, you know right now uh Drones are kind of like this touchstone technology. Anybody and everybody who's seen as kind of a you know leader in technology or or thought or whatever is jumping on the drone bandwagon. Mm. Yeah. And uh, you, you, you know, I used to joke about it a few years ago at the Paris Air Show. There were a few you know uh, examples. Now you go to the Paris Air Show; they're everywhere. If you don't have one, you're basically you know caveman. So it's going to happen that way with, I think, uh, the news and security and police and, and you know, film companies, whatever. I mean, it, the, the technology is here. It's not going away. It's the future of aviation. Now, the, the bigger companies, your Googles, your Facebooks, and your Amazon, you know, the Amazon wanted to deliver packages. The first time I saw their Prime Air thing, I said, you know, that thing's not ready for prime time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it just, it, it it doesn't look to me to be, you know, if I had the Amazon's kind of money, I would, I, I you know, I wrote an article about this. We need less Marilyn Manson and more Richard Branson in the design. <laughs> and you would think they would come out with something that's futuristic and sleek. And I'm like, God, this looks like somebody threw this together in the yeah. garage. My main thing was no prop guards. How you know? First time somebody gets hit, right? With an Amazon Prime Air drone. Oh my! You know. <laughs> a, a little boy or, runs out to get his package, and gets shredded by a propeller. <laughs> that's not going to oh go so God. well, is it? No, it's not going to be good. And uh, you know, I think that's another thing. This this industry is going to grow. It needs to grow up. You know, I I just. Uh, I just say, well, you know, you're going to have to start thinking when it goes legal. You'll start having to think about product liability, mm-hmm. um, things like that. When this crashes into, you know, somebody's windshield and they careen off the road and, you know, hurt themselves. Right. You know, you're going to have people, uh, man, there's going to be a long list of, <laughs> of people getting sued. 
Do, it's going to be ugly. Do you think, I mean, I guess that's one of the complaints that a lot of, uh, I guess, Americans have with the FAA guidelines is simply the idea that we keep trying to compare this to a piloted aircraft. And so we're kind of competing with airplanes and air and pilots. Um, is, is that a fair argument that maybe that this is a whole category in and of itself that needs its own? It needs its own, you know, set of guidelines for the unmanned, uh, non-pilot, non-piloted uh, aircraft. Uh, yeah, and, and a lot of people would agree with that, especially in, let's say, a visual line of sight envelope. Yeah. Something that you can see and deconflict the airspace with your eyes. Um, when you get beyond visual line of sight, you're talking about... Uh, you're talking about a whole different kettle of fish. You're talking about something that's going to have to conform to aircraft norms. Yeah. And the reason that is is because in the 2012 FAA reauthorization bill, <laughs> they were classified as aircraft. <clears throat> Pardon me. And, you know, um, that that's just so you're, you're done. They're yeah. Aircraft that, the now NTSB, they're aircraft. And the, yeah, and the NTSB came back and gave a ruling even on the RC hobby staff that those were aircraft. Like it or not, yeah, these are aircraft. So people are, you know, I mean, I some of it we did what we could, but that was the classification. So now you're you're in the aviation business, and there are a lot of people that get into drones who are more programmers or internet people, and they say, well, you know, I'm I'm not a flying a plane. Uh, you are flying a plane. Yeah, you know, you're flying an aircraft. It's a contrivance that's meant to you know go through the air. So with that is the responsibility, you know, especially for beyond visual line of sight. And that's beyond the airspace that you can deconflict with your eye. Um, I can't find anyone in the aviation community, the serious aviation community, who believes that that will be able to be uh, done without software certification, mm-hmm. you know, DO-178B or C. You're going to need some higher certificate to make that happen. Well, you're going to need to certify your software to make sure that it's going to do what you say it's going to do. Right now, everybody believes that, like, well, I just, you know, I build this drone and it flies around away points or whatever, and it does what I say it's going to do. But that's basically your opinion because there's no scientific data to back that up. And these things fly away and whatever else. So they do need to, when you're talking about something that's smaller and it weighs a pound or two pounds or something that's not so critical, and you start talking about something that's 55 pounds and flies at 100 miles an hour, then, you know, we're talking that the software is a little bit more critical and the certification is going to be a little bit more critical. Yeah. Even in the NPRM, there's, they're, they're talking about allowing 55-pound aircraft to fly at 100 miles an hour. Uh, you know, in, in my estimation, that's a little... Um, if I had to sign off on that, I would think it was too liberal. But yeah. I'm not the expert. That's the FAA, and you know, very forward thinking on their part. That's well, all I'll say and, about that. and it's all it's all pretty new. And I mean, I guess finally they got something out. And yeah, I guess in the end, too, Patrick, you're uh, you're on the kind of the cutting edge of this. Just uh, we have about thirty seconds left. Let us know what what should the average citizen worry about? Is there anything? What should we be thinking when when we think of drones? And the future of drones. Well, you know, I'd say that don't uh, don't believe all the hype in the the newspaper about you know the privacy concerns. I mean, that's that's a whole nother. We're gonna have to do a whole nother show sure. on privacy. But uh, you know, uh, like I tried to state in my TEDx talk, is you know, there's there's these drones can help feed a hungry world. You know, uh, for they can help us you know manage our forests, our, our public and private assets. Um, you know, there's the anti-poaching. It really, there's. 
I don't know, you know, at last count, there's probably about 350 potential uses for drones uh, to help us, uh, you know, better the world. So, yeah. you know, there may be a little bit of a privacy issue. There's there's always something. There's always, you know, a, a downside with technology. But uh, really, there's a lot of upside. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it makes for, for good copy. And, uh, you know, you got to remember the news, most of the news now, it's it's all about clicks. Yeah, getting getting views, getting the getting the ratings up. Patrick, we appreciate you. If anybody wants to get more information about Patrick and what uh, they're doing with drones and drone TV and everything, go to patrickegan.net. Patrickegan.net. Uh, there you have it. Little info, little insight into drones. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll take a break. Come back. Take some more headlines on as well as some of the coaches corners. This is uh, it's good to be with you. Don't be afraid of the drones. They are, they're our friends. We'll be right back right here on the Matt Townsend. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking about dronage, which is different than drainage, by the way. Dronage. <laughs> Drones. They are they're our friends. They come in peace. They're well, not here de- to just It depends on us. their usage. Well, I mean, I think if you are a terrorist with ISIS, I'd fear drones. If your name is Jim Bob and you're waiting for a package from Amazon... I'd be anxiously excited, sitting there just waiting. Our previous guest, Patrick Egan, talked yeah. about he saw the video that Amazon put out of what they're proposing to do with Patrick or, pat, or package delivery, and he said there's no guards on yeah. the propellers. Yeah, that could be bad. For the drones, and I've, I've known people close to me that pulled the drone out of the box when they got it, turned it on, and cut themselves immediately because <laughs> they didn't have the guard on. Hey. Let's just have that be a warning to everybody. Get your guard on your drone. Right. If they're, if they're used safely, and of course it has to be re- regulated as yeah. he was talking about because the 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 uh, the skies are already populated with bigger things. That's true. Airplanes and Hey, a little else. advice. Don't drink and fly your drone. Or crash in, into the White House. Yeah. Property as that guy did. Wasn't that guy drinking too? Yeah. See, that's the problem. You're going to have drunk droning. And You already do. Drunk droning is, that's just bad. You're going to be sitting at the park and all of a sudden the drone's just going to f- come right in and land right into your a, par- a park by my house is a designated model airplane flying area. Really? And so people are over there constantly. I bet just, your son loves that. Oh, yeah. They fly over my house. They do. It's fine. But that's funny. I never really think about that until you start talking about drones dropping out of the sky. And I'm like, well, these planes are constantly buzzing my house. and. That's weird because at my house, um, we have like a wildlife preserve where geese come and and water. So we get to see geese and you get to see drones. Not to To brag. Not to compare. Okay. There's geese by my house. I decided to leave the geese out of the conversation, but they come and (laughs) hang out at the park. But you think the geese and the drones, that might not make a great combination. Soon we'll have no need for geese. We'll just have drones. That's not a bad idea, too. Geese are dirty. Birds will be obsolete. All we need is a robot bird. Oh, that is so sad. 
See, maybe that's why we need to stop drones now. You guys seen Terminator? That's yeah. what worries me, is when the drones become self-aware. It's just Skynet. I know our address. The next step is they become self-aware. They, they, we try to use them to protect ourselves. They see humans as the greatest threat to humans, so they take all the humans out. That's why you don't arm your drone. We just don't we arm We already them. have. Well, yeah. yeah. And we, 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 they ha- we have people sitting in trailers in Nevada flying <laughs> drones over the Middle East, so... Yeah, but see, so, again, how self-aware is the guy? The next step is we just let the computer do the whole yeah. thing. Artificial intelligent drone. There, I, I have a story here about artificial intelligence and Russian tanks. You guys are you scare too easy. Russia is testing out the latest tank prototype. It could be powerful enough to replace all of their existing tracked vehicles. Not just tanks, just everything. It, uh, it can operate underwater. Mm-hmm. It can its firing system, anti-tank guided missile launchers is capable of choosing its own targets. You know what? You just turn it on and drive. It goes ahead and shoots whatever is yeah you, hostile. You give me a Russian tank, okay, any day, and let's have it go head to head with a Mormon mom driving a suburban Mormon assault vehicle. We call them here in Utah, Mavs. Okay, I take the Mormon mom any day. Really? Oh yeah. There's no. Cannon or no? She doesn't need a cannon. Machine gun. She's or? got a kid in diapers in the back seat. Okay. <laughs> who needs to, who needs a baba? <laughs> that guy in the you tank. Think that works. That guy in the tank has no shot against a mom with a kid in the back seat that needs his baba. His baba. Or his chicken nugget just fell out into his seat off the out of his hand and it's now rolling down the seat. That mom can drive with a foot, reach back, get the nugget. Blow it off and feed the boy. I'd like to see the tank do that. Well, apparently it can. It can self-drive in the underwater, and the the pilot, the, the no. guy driving the tank, no. can just sit back and hang out. And not, but it's not interacting with the kid. Okay, if if you put the kid into there, it, if that you, changes the whole scenario. Give any mother across this country. They don't even have to be driving a Mormon mother assault vehicle. They could just be driving any car. Kids in the back, strapped in. That mother head-to-head with that tank any day. Any day. I don't want to start a war. <laughs> Sounds like you're trying. But don't mess with the mom on the nugget fast. Okay. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Yesterday, I, uh, we talked about in Finland how they're uh, adjusting how they're educating their kids. Yeah, that was cool. Instead of teaching by subject, they're teaching by scenario, yeah. or as they called it, phenomenon. phenomenon. Yeah. So in other words, you have the problem, and then you show how... This uh, subject in school yeah. fixes the problem. So everything's not like broken into science or math. It's it's just the problem is we have to get this thing to fit. Yeah. So here here's the problem, and here's what we can teach you to fix cool. that problem. I like that. Problem More of solving. a solution-based education. Solving. In India, they have a test that the, that the kids take that helps to possibly bring them out of poverty as there's, the, there's a caste system and – and just the way the economy works, there's always going to be poverty, and they're trying to, to fix that. But hundreds of people are arrested by and police fired warning shots in the air as Indian authorities sought to clamp down on mass cheating on these school exams in India. Local authorities posted uh, police at all the schools where the exams were being held over the weekend. At least 300 people were arrested. 700 students in total have been expelled. This is in one... Well, they're I, trying I guess you call it a state, but in yeah, one area. But they're trying to cheat their way out of the caste system. Like, they, they want a break. Police resorted to firing warning shots in the air outside of an examination center Saturday to prevent large numbers of people 
from helping their students copy answers posted through windows by friends and parents. <laughs> the state government also took seven policemen into custody for dereliction of duty after they were accused of accepting bribes and ignoring climbing, people climbing up the side of buildings. There's, there's pictures online. Oh, my heavens. All these people are climbing up. It's like a five-story building. And they have, like, papers put up against the windows yeah. so their kids can see the answers. So it's not like they're trying to be, <laughs> like, sneaky it about it. The they're wall. hanging out the window. It's estimated that around 1.4 million students are taking the school exams. It's called Bihar, B-I-H-A-R. It's one of the provinces or states of the in India. Oh, my heavens. And uh, over the course of the week. So 1.4 million students, the, it's called the leaving exams are seen as a vital, important test that have the potential of radically transforming lives of those who grow up in poverty. So uh, they see that this is their future, and the parents yeah. are climbing buildings to, well, to help their kids cheat, and the cops are like, you can't do that. You can't do that. We've got to keep you Other in the system. Other cops allegedly were bribed. and <laughs> yeah, We are here to continue to oppress you. Quit cheating your way out of oppression. A little extreme there for the parents, but <laughs> you, can, you know the, the importance yeah. of your kid's education. Well, I mean, how many times do you see in the United States the parents are like, that wasn't a foul. You can punch someone in the nose. Or we'll, we'll all cheat a little bit you know, for our parents kids. going in and uh, disagreeing with grades and, yeah. and arguing with teachers and things like that. It's it, it's important for the, the kids to do it themselves. Yeah. But, you know, at what point do the parents have to back away? At what point do you step in to help? If you're going to cheat, kids, cheat by yourself. Yeah, that was a little obvious. Cheating, I always thought we were supposed to. Yeah, but I guess sort of cheating out way. of a caste system. A little bit more. Do what you got to do. Intensity that's there it. for the parents. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's good. I mean, that's. Would you scale a building for your child? No, but I would pay someone to. <laughs> I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm not scaling a building. Are you kidding me? But I would just get a projector and project it. You know what I mean? I'd get a drone. A drone with a projector. There you go. Fly it up there, project the answers. You can hang anything off the bottom of those drones, oh, so projector sure. or anything, yeah. For sure. Paintball guns, I've seen uh, that. Man, we need to make a note on that. Uh, James isn't here, so will you make a note? Okay. Just make a note. I'll make a mental note. I want to trademark uh, projectors on drones for the cheating of cast-obligated cast and restrained children. All right, we got it. <sighs> if not, it's on the podcast. We're trying to change the world, folks. One cast system at a time this is the matt townsend show we're going to take a break uh when we come back next hour you won't believe what we're talking about my friends loneliness could kill you we'll be back right here on byu radio Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, my friends, where we give you the tools to live longer, love stronger, and lead the ones you're with. If everybody would just lead with principles and character in your circle of influence, man, this world would be a different place, wouldn't it? That's the goal of the show, give you the tools. Today, we're going to be talking about living longer, would you believe that uh, loneliness and being lonely could kill you? It's just as bad as 15 cigarettes a day. Now, some would never believe that. 
but it's true. We're going to be talking to uh, Dr. Tim Smith here, Timothy Smith here from Brigham Young University, who co-authored a paper on that. So we'll be getting into that. Also, uh, just so you know, if you're keeping score, James Birdsall, he's not in the house today. James is uh, fighting off a cold, a.k.a. getting ready for a wedding. I, by the way, uh, his wife... He, he's playing video games. He's home playing video games. That's what he's doing. Uh, his, his future wife, I, I saw they were eating lunch here yesterday, and I walked in. Are you sure that was his wife? I hope so. Did you ask, say, uh-huh. are you the wife? Are and you I, the future I wife? I met her before. Okay. I still do not know her name. But that was her? That was her. Okay. And I'm like, is that her? Not, not to cause any problems. No, I'm but... like, James, is that her? And he's like, yeah, that's her. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, you want to tell me your name? And she's like, who are you? And I'm like, anyway. I gotta go. Isn't it Methuselah? It's Methuselah. That's her name. Fantastic. Beautiful name. Beautiful name. Beautiful woman. Beautiful hair. Didn't Methuselah have snakes for her hair? That was Medusa. Medusa. Ah, Medusa's the other M. I've been looking for M names. Yeah, Medusa. Go with Medusa. That's that's always positive. Uh, Medusa Oblongata. That's different. Yes. That's not even a thing. I think it's Medula. Yeah. Medula is another name we could use. Um, So here's the deal. He's gone. But it's not like we're bored. We we have a board operator, board uh, with emphasis on board, B-O-R-E-D. Brandon Bishop's with us. Brandon's our Kansas City guy. Indeed. Good to have you. Good to be here. Way to wear every part, every, you've got a shirt, a coat, and a hat from the Kansas City Royals. Yep. Baseball starting. Opening day, a couple weeks. That's right. Got to get ready. Do Do you wear that every day? Uh, That's cool if you do. I every just, other day yeah. or so, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, when it's not in the wash. You don't want to be too much, but, you yeah. know. Yeah, I got to show my support. Did you, who's your favorite Kansas City Royal? In all history, dumb. In all history, well, it's got to be George, George Brett. George Brett. Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone knows George Brett. That's, I there. don't know many other players other than He George still Brett. goes to the games. He still cheers. Does he? he? Nuts. Yeah. 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 He's you saw him when they were running the playoffs. Yeah. He was up in the, the press he box. He was there all the time, smiling, clapping. Just don't make him mad. Yeah, yeah see what he can do. Yeah. He gets mad. Okay, man. I'll kill you. I don't even want to know what he did after the World Series. <laughs> That's cool. Good to have you, Brandon. Uh, it's a hard seat to fill. We understand that. It is. It's uncomfortable. It's weird, isn't it? The seat itself. I well, mean. yeah. Like He's it. shorter, so it's kind of hard to adjust that way too. Yeah. Yeah. We miss old James. Old Speaking what? of angry, yeah, which you weren't, but well, I, yeah, it's a um, weird segue. <laughs> Sometimes when you do a segue, you actually try to tie it to what we were saying. Yeah, sometimes I just don't want to. Okay. Well, speaking Did of Did you know, Putin, do you enjoy square dancing? Every night. Really? Yeah. My wife's going to drag me off to something here. Oh, so. this. you know what? Take video. I'm supposed to wear my best cowboy gear. Yeah. I don't have any. Do you need some? Don't plan on getting any. I've got some chaps if you need I am them. from Kansas, so like that's standard fare. Yeah, yeah I know. My I pajamas. Just, not really... Something I'm excited about. But older women in China have enjoyed square dancing in public for years. Really? But thanks to noise complaints about loud music, China's government is now stepping in. What? They're banning square dancing now? China's sports and culture authorities will now regulate public dancing. China, the China Daily reports. Not only will authorities regulate sound levels, but they'll also provide the choreography for China's score dancers. <laughs> On Monday, the General Administration of Sports of China and the Ministry of Culture revealed 12 choreographed routines. Oh, jeez. All the negative comments on square dancing about the reckless... Uh, what does it say? Practice without caring about the public benefits. Fitness trainer 
uh, told China Daily the unified drills will help keep the dancing on the right track where they can be performed in a socially responsible way. Authorities are still working out details about the recommended music volume and which public spaces are suitable for square dancing. You know what? China has no idea what they're playing with here. Chinese depravity knows no bounds. You at this point. sure you can oppress a population? Sure, civil rights may not, or human rights, human rights may not be there. But do not mess with square dancing. And older women. With their square dancing, you're going to you're going to give them twelve specific. These are the dances. Ru- the choreographed routines. Here's your level of music. It's now socially responsible. They have touched the third rail. This may be the last <laughs> of country time. western dancing. Could you be. do not mess with it It'll unless you're a certified uh, caller. Is that what they call them? Square dance caller. Unless you are certified. Yeah. From the United States National Square Dancing Callers Association, swing your partner of America. Round and round. Do not mess with square dancing. Put your right foot in and your left foot out. No, it's a different thing. Man. So yeah, they're they're going to regulate square dancing in China. Mark my words. This is the beginning of the end of China. <laughs> square dancing is going to bring down China. <laughs> words marked. With all Did the you other mark those? all I'm the other things that have happened throughout history. Mark my words. Square dancing is going to do. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Tibet, all this stuff that they've been doing for years. Whatever. Square dancing will... Ah! Good luck, China. The first uh, internet service providers are suing the FCC. They're lining up. We knew that would happen. The Washington Post reports that several industry groups that we talked about before, that it won't necessarily be Verizon or AT&T. No, they're going to go by other names. They're going to back their industry groups to go out and be the bad guy. Yeah. Because they don't want to hurt their brand by... Being the bad guy going against sure. something that a lot of people that makes sense want. Uh, Alamo Broadband is a small uh, group in New Orleans. They're suing. U.S. Telecom is jumping in. They're mm-hmm. a industry group, and uh, some other groups. Is uh, the last time they tried to do this, Verizon went in and stopped it themselves. Hmm. So they're going a different tack this time. But just watch that. The lawsuits yeah. will begin, and I love never happen. But don't you love the smell of a lawsuit in spring? No. But just we'll something see. about that mm, that new lawsuit smell. If it's mm. in, if it's if it brings up some interesting uh, mm. comments or court cases, yes. But most of the time, it's just people saying no. Yeah, no, we don't like this. Um, let's see here, Ford. They're introducing a new car. What? that will make you obey the speed limit. It'll force you to. You'll have it's just the way the car's set up. Like, what does it do? They're hoping to prevent accidents and speeding tickets by introducing cars that can see what the speed limit is and prevent heavy-footed motorists from driving any faster. Ford's intelligent speed limit technology will first appear on the new Ford S Max is launching in Europe. That could just change the way we drive. The camera mounted on the windshield scans the road signs on the sides of the highway. And when the vehicle enters a 20 mile per hour zone, the system reduces the top speed to match. Rather than controlling the speed with automatic braking, wow. the car limits its own velocity by adjusting the amount of fuel being pushed into the engine. That's great for kids. Is it going to speak to you kind of like your wife does or your mom? From the back seat or something? Are you trying to kill us? Yeah. <laughs> but the idea is you're driving down the freeway. It changes from, say, 70 to 50. You're, <sighs> the, 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 the computer scans it from your windshield and slows you down. Okay. Then there's no excuse of, I missed that. That sign back yeah. there. You know, you, you drive through. You, you're that would have saved me a ticket. I got a ticket. You're flying through small towns, and all of a sudden you go from freeway speeds to 35. Sure. 
But that would be pretty weird all of a sudden to just have your car slow from 50 yeah. to 30 or 25 in a school zone. You'll think something broke. You're like, what happened? Did I hit a kid? Nope. We're just slowing you down before you do. So is that the way we need to go? Do we need to have a car slow no. us down or should we be able to do that? Again, it should, we should have self-control, but we don't. And I, I like that idea for my kids, but I would definitely not put that feature on my car. That would ruin my drive, my commute. That wouldn't be, you know, <laughs> as enjoyable when I can speed when I want to. Yeah. And a personal note for me. What? The X-Files is coming back. Oh, is that good? They're bringing back six episodes with the original stars so I can relive the show I watched when I was in high school. Oh, wow. Because it was really awesome then. 13 years ago. I want to relive uh, the show I watched in high school, which is Hee Haw. Which isn't as good as The X-Files. Have you seen Hee Haw? I have. It's pretty good. No. You didn't have aliens. You didn't have government conspiracies. But we did have we We, did have square dancing. Weird people in cornfields or however that worked. China, you've bit off more than you can chew, my friend. You you are going to have what we call the hee haw effect. You're going to have square dancing people in Tiananmen Square with their little hoop skirts or whatever those are called, those little square dancing skirts. Guys with big handlebar mustaches. You're in trouble. Folks, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, Dr. Timothy Smith will be with us. He is the author of a study that we saw. It's fascinating. It's about loneliness. And so be doing a little loneliness check. Do you feel lonely? Because if you feel lonely, my friends, it could be costing you your lifespan. It could it could actually kill you. Loneliness does kill Professor Timothy Smith will be joining us right here on the Matt Townsend Show up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, have you heard the song before, Lonely, I'm So Lonely, Ain't Got Nobody for My Own? You know, everybody gets lonely sometimes. Some people even enjoy being alone. I personally do. Whether you like it or not, however, recent research shows that loneliness, living alone, and social social isolation could be dangerous or are dangerous to your health. In fact, their effect um, are comparable to obesity. And the real problem is that more people are living alone now than ever before. Professor Timothy Smith, co-author of the study on loneliness, joins us. He did the study, by the way, with Dr. Julianne Holt-Lundstad, and uh, Dr. Timothy Smith joins us now. Welcome, Professor. Thanks for being here with us. Happy to be with you. Thank you. It's a uh, – who would think that loneliness is equal to obesity? And did I, did I read right? And it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day as far as its impact on your health. We really don't think of that. No. Uh, when, when people think of health problems, high blood pressure, smoking, yeah. alcoholism, you know, kind of these major preventable things that we can do to right. enhance our physical health. But it turns out that our social networks are equally predictive of our longevity, which is really That unexpected. is amazing. Yeah. I mean, that really is – I mean, it makes sense, right? Because – Historically, if you didn't have a social network, you would probably have died anyway. 
right. you think that, <laughs> in terms that of, they, they would have, yeah. you know, Darwinismed out. You know, they would have, right. we would have lost them. But, um, but that the mere fact, I guess, does it create a physiological problem for us? It must. Yeah. So, like our stress response uh-huh. is uh, is actually enhanced. It's improved when we're around other people. We can deal with things. We can cope we with cope. things better. That's exactly right. Our immune system functions better around people. That's exactly you're, right. I guess you you're, you have more germs being processed through the community. That the herd mentality, the herd effect. Yeah. Well, that's true. But then there's also the psychological side. Yeah. And. Um, People thrive on meaning and, and purpose. Uh, I just read a study the other day on uh, strokes, and it, the research showed that if you have purpose and meaning in life, you're actually less likely to have a stroke. And, and so, again, people just really don't understand the connection between our mind and our body, but we're, they're intimately connected. Isn't that interesting? Is it, do you sense that it's um, – it seems like the people that might be lonely might already have a psychological issue that drives them away from the group? Or is it – and then that in and of itself might make them unhealthy or less healthy anyway. Were you able to, to, to define that? Yeah, that's a great, great point. And so some people um, – well, let's put it this way. We don't wake up at the start of the day saying, you know, I'm going to be lonely today. I want you know, to avoid you? everybody. <laughs> it's not our goal. Right. But things have happened in the past that maybe we mistrust other people. We've been damaged emotionally. So we've lost that trust. And so that's natural. It occurs. But when it persists mm. – that's when it becomes a problem. And so we actually looked at both sides of loneliness, the the feeling, but then also just physical isolation, whether you're lonely or not. Because as you said at yeah. the start, you know, sometimes we like to be alone. I love we, being alone. We actually enjoy it, you know, uh-huh. and, and, and we need some downtime, you yeah. know, just um, occasionally. And that's, and that's great. That's the healthy sure, lo- sure. Uh, alone time. Yeah, kind of decompression. Mm-hmm. But it really doesn't matter in terms of predicting longevity, whether you're alone because you want to be or alone because you um, uh, yeah, yeah. kind of have, have to be. Because no one know? wants to be around That's you. That's exactly right. They're equally predictive of mortality. And so if you take into account the, the psychological side where, you know, that kind of, well, if you're alone or if you feel lonely or emotionally isolated, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, but even if you don't feel lonely... You, you're still at risk if you're isolated more often than not. So so one of the outcomes, I guess, of the study is if you are alone a lot, you probably need to pay attention to that. It's going to have some impact on exactly. your health. Yeah. And so th- that's, again, the surprise. Even if you love it, it's kind of like somebody that loves to smoke. Okay. Love it. But it's going to have an impact. And it will have an impact. That's exactly right. So back in the 30s, you know, when yeah. you'd see those advertisements about smoking, that it's good for your health you know, and all right. these things. And uh, even nowadays with social media, you know, it's fine. In fact, I just saw a book that was uh, a bestseller um, put out by some people in New York uh, extolling the benefits of living alone. And certainly it offers some conveniences. You know, sure. you'd have to deal with less Problems, you know, and things like that. But health is not one of those (laughs) benefits. Health is a community. There's a community benefit to health. That's exactly right. So that's so interesting to me. I mean, I've heard studies of like a man that has a heart attack in front of his family um, is more likely to survive the heart attack than if he has the heart attack alone. 
even if he can get help either way, he's more inclined to get help if his wife's like, what is your deal? What is wrong with you? And almost so it does afford him health where if he's by himself, you know, he'll just smack his chest and like, right. Okay, I'm good. That's exactly right. So taking care of ourselves, self-care. I mean, that that heart attack example is is dead on. You're exactly right. But it goes down to little things like even brushing your teeth, you know. Well, that's true. Basic hygiene. We're more likely to take care of ourselves when we're around other people more often. And so we all know that people can slip into kind of risky behaviors. uh, They kind of let themselves go a little bit. And and, uh, of course, that's a problem. On the flip side, uh, we're more likely to exercise when we have an exercise companion. That's true. You know, for example, and all the positive health behaviors are more likely to occur when we've got other folks around us spurring us on, giving us motivation. In your research, have you found? I mean, that's that's so interesting because then the concept of family becomes really an imperative. Like, because a family is an inherent network that will provide this social network you need, uh, even if you don't need it or want it at the time, having the family around you, and it's even for a prescribed amount of time usually, you're going to have these kids at your home around you constantly for 20 years or whatever. Yeah. Is is there research about that? So family could become that network. That's exactly right. And oftentimes we look, we overlook that. Yeah. And, and the media in their coverage of this research, uh, the New York Times and other places, they've emphasized kind of the friendship angle. Yeah. But who are we around most? most? It's our family. That's right. And so, yeah, unfortunately, that's been overlooked. But that's really the key, uh, which is kind of these permanent, long-term, enduring uh-huh. uh, relationships, starting off in infancy. infancy. So our, our trust of other people uh, starts at that particular point, and then it just continues. And so with our own children, but also with siblings, with our grandparents, with that's our amazing. grandchildren. It, and, and especially now that you see the marriage rates are dropping, right? people are less inclined to maybe get married or they're getting married older, mm-hmm. which is interesting, too, because what's the effect of going 10 years in isolation or, you know, in, in more being alone? That, too, could still take certain years off your life as well. It, it certainly can. It's like what's the effect of 10 years of heavy drinking? That's it, true. It will impact It's going you. to impact you. Yeah. Holy cow, this is good. We're talking with Professor Timothy Smith. It's so fascinating to me that we find something that's kind of intuitive. Well, yeah, duh, except we haven't had the data. So you went out and found the data. Yep, yep. There have been over 70 research studies on this particular topic, and we summarized the findings across all uh, all those studies. In all, there are over three and a half million participants mm. in those research studies. So this is a pretty solid finding. This is pretty robust. Yeah. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion with Professor Timothy Smith. He is uh, the Department Chair of Counseling and Psychology and Special Education in the School of Education at Brigham Young University. We're talking about loneliness, friends. Again, it doesn't matter if you feel lonely per se. That would be bad as well. But just being alone... It impacts you, and it impacts your health. Um, this is interesting. We need we need people, folks. Whether we like it or not, we need people. Uh, we'll take a break. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house with us right now is Professor Timothy Smith. Uh, he's the co-author of a study on loneliness that he uh, that he did the study with Dr. Julianne Holt Lundstad. And uh, Professor Smith is the department chair of Counseling, Psychology, and Special Education in the School of Education at Brigham Young University. This study is, it's, I, to me, when I saw it, I thought, oh, how cool to finally learn that being alone, uh, not just in feeling lonely, but in also physically being isolated from other people, it is as big of a threat to your longevity as obesity is. And in fact, um, they're, they're, they're calling it an epidemic. This is... An epidemic, and the research shows it's it's turning into uh, we're going to have a future of more and more lonely people and socially isolated people. Professor Timothy Smith, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Why do you call it an epidemic? Well, we're predicting that it will be. Yeah, uh, we're we're on that trajectory. It's on the verge. That's exactly you can right. See it happening. Yeah. So you mentioned obesity, and about thirty years ago. People looked at food production, and they were noticing processed foods, increased sugar content. Yeah. Uh, They also took a look at decrease in physical activity. People were sitting in front of the TV more than they used to, working out on the farm. And so they predicted an obesity epidemic. And sure enough— Bingo. Here we are. (laughs) And it didn't take, you know, rocket scientists— It didn't surprise the experts. They saw it coming. Absolutely. And so now, with respect to our social lives— um, the rates of living alone are in the rec- highest recorded rates in uh, in in history. We've been taking census data for a long time. Really? So, so in history, more people are living alone today than any time in history. That's exactly right, as far as recorded history. Yeah. And then we can just go back and we can estimate yeah. in, in the past. And it's like, no, they no. couldn't. They well, couldn't they used have, to live in agrarian, like more agrarian They couldn't type have survived, of you know, right. uh, alone like this. Yeah. And so absolutely, our, our lifestyle allows us to live alone. Yeah. And there are some advantages to that. But clearly the disadvantages are emotional and now we know physical hmm. in terms of living alone. That's exactly right. So in the uh, city of Stockholm, Sweden, for example – about 55% of the households are single occupant. Wow. And that's, I mean, again, I could just hear the, imagine the listeners out there like, yeah, what a great life. <laughs> it's not a big deal. But, but the impact on health, it takes off years. It does. Yeah, about four to five years of your life. Because your immunity drops, um, because you're probably less inclined to get certain health care needs taken care of. Right. You're probably less inclined to exercise. Exactly. You don't have someone pointing out to you, hey, you know, you kind of look sick today. Yeah. Why don't you go see someone? Yeah, you don't look good. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That looks swollen. (laughs) No, that's not swollen. (laughs) No, honey, that looks infected. No, it's not. It's it's a really interesting thing. What What else leads you kind of to the idea that we're on the verge of an epidemic. Any other research keys that you're watching? Certainly. So rates of uh, subjective loneliness, the, the people's reports of just feeling alone mm-hmm. are also increasing. And, and researchers have been tracking this over the past 20 years. Um, folks at UCLA came out with the uh, UCLA loneliness scale. It's now been administered to hundreds of thousands of people across decades. And rates of loneliness are increasing in developed societies. Well, how does that happen with so much more technology? We have so many more means to communicate, methods to communicate, modes, and yet we're more lonely? Right. 
we need affirmation. We yeah. need uh, uh, genuine connection. And so getting a positive tweet with an emoji is nice, and it's, it's cute. It's cute, but, <laughs> you know? but we're not being validated per se. Right. On a deep level, who really knows you? Yeah. And it's that sense of feeling uh, connected at a deeper level than, you know, have a great day. Yeah. Which is nice yeah. and it's pleasant. Um, but when someone knows you for all your foibles and, and their your dreams and their dreams and you can support each other in that process, that's when you have the guts to say to someone else, hey, you know what? Why don't you consider that colonoscopy? Yeah. <laughs> no, right. And you wouldn't dare mention no. that over a tweet. That's right. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, you got your colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah, you're not doing that with your buddy. Not at all. But your wife would say, yeah, you're 50. It's time. It's time. And you're like, I'm not doing that. No way. But that's where the social pressure for things that we wouldn't do Mm -hmm. certainly kicks in. And it's the same thing about purpose in life. If someone knows your dreams and they see you slacking off a little bit, they can support you. They can be there for you. And and again, that enhanced purpose of life and connection. Are we choosing – are we are we detaching then from people? Do you sense that we don't want that accountability? We don't want that responsibility. We don't want to be forced to live with our passion, so we just detach. Is that what's happening? It is psychologically protective, yeah, and because people can criticize us, and yeah. that hurts. I mean, it sucks right. to be um, so watched. Right. Judged. Exactly. And and particularly where Facebook is like a constant social comparison. You know, you're like, oh, yeah. they had a great weekend and I didn't. You know? Yeah. But I'm going to post something to make it look like I, I was really having an awesome time. You know, so it becomes kind of superficial and a, and a little fake or it can be. It doesn't have to be. Hmm. And I think we know uh, Facebook posters that do fo- post genuine posts and, you know, they're kind of connected. Yeah. And it, it's not the superficiality that we and sometimes Well, and they're get. probably perpetuating their passion. The sure. ones that you like, probably you can see their passion and it makes you excited. It does. It it comes through mm-hmm. as, as real. What about, too, just the aging uh, the aging seniors they're they're more likely than to be alone too and that will then impact their health as well they are and so with uh, longevity increasing for everyone we're much more likely to live longer than ever right. uh, unfortunately that means we're much more likely to live alone yeah. longer than ever and so people uh, at post retirement are at most risk of feeling lonely subjectively because they're not engaged in work and yeah. activities Passions that they used to be. That's exactly right. And also the mo- most likely to be alone physically. And so that is also part of the epidemic. So baby boomers, pay attention, really, because you're on the front line now. Completely. And so it's a big deal. R- relationships uh, can be healed. It's tough, like you mentioned earlier, to give up smoking. It's tough to cut back on alcohol if yeah. you're using it a lot. But it turns out that that same effort is beneficial in your social life. We can repair relationships. Yeah. We can strengthen relationships right now so that, say, 20 years from now, we're, we're, we're not alone. Right. Or we're less alone. And if you've had dysfunctional relationships that you kind of have moved away from, you can go find functional. You exactly. just have to be proactive. I mean, part of it is it's it's like – it's not like you don't need to go get married again if you're divorced or widowed, but you do need to maybe use that same energy to find people. 
That's exactly right. To connect where we can. Get involved. There are many millions of lonely folks um, in the U.S. and other nations abroad. There's solutions here. We can reach out. When you go to lunch today, you'll notice someone, you know, a coworker sitting alone. Go sit by. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. Chat. Get to know them. Just yesterday, I was talking with someone uh, who had worked in this office for over 25 years. And they said, you know, there was this other person in the office, and we had worked in the office for about that long together. And it was always, hi, how are you? Yeah. And I made, he said, I made the effort to say, let's meet. Let's chat about this problem. And now they've been meeting weekly. And he said, now we're friends. That's cool. And this is after 25 years of just being, hi, hello, how yeah. are you? Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Transactional. And so now at the end of their careers together, they're leaving with a solid bond that they never had before. You hear these stories about, uh, it always seems to be like in New York, where a man dies at his desk and nobody knows for two days. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's just pathetic. But we do. We sometimes we live like a like a little machine in our little corral, yeah. or and we we just go to work. We yeah. plug a hole and do the deal, and we're not really even connecting in, are we? Quality of life is as important, of course, as longevity. Yeah, and so to have that sense of passion and connection and, and, and joy, really, that, that comes from being with others is so key to our experience. Just really briefly, um, people have said and research has shown that Denmark is uh, one of the happiest yeah, countries I've, I've of the world. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, I've been there and other people have been there and they have less misery, it turns out. <laughs> they are less miserable than the rest of the that, world. That's exactly right because they have a nice, they have a nice uh, health system. Things are taken care of. The society is orderly. There's less problems overall. Mm-hmm. Okay, But I've also been to Africa where there are major problems. Yeah. Uh, people living not knowing if they're going to eat food the next day. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. I just got an email from a friend saying his mom was kicked out of the house that – she built, but her sisters just didn't want her in the home anymore. So, I mean, there's just major um, problems, HIV, et cetera, et cetera. But on the streets of Denmark and in Copenhagen, let's say, and on the streets in uh, a city like Kampala, you will notice a night and day difference in terms of sociality, really? social connection, yeah. and sheer happiness. And so, yes, it's true that there's less misery in Denmark. Interesting. But there's a lot more joyfulness. Joviality, fun, connection. On the streets of Kampala, Uganda. And so Isn't that it's not what we have. It's who we have. That's so true. That is beautiful, isn't it? And yet we see that. And you can there, you can – there's a very tangible difference between being connected and knowing you are – you are loved and cared for versus just not having misery. Right. Isn't that interesting? It also seems like there's a really powerful model of um, like multi-generational living and homes. I mean like there might be value to when you have a single parent to bringing them in, finding a place for them in your unit. Even if they live somewhere else, having a place where they can go and just hang out and – Instead of just kind of, you know, putting them away in a, you know, a warehouse. Most cultures of the world do that. And just briefly, I 
had that privilege. And as a child, I was born in Boston. Um, all my relatives were there. We moved away. I didn't grow up with my grandparents, and I always regretted that. It was yeah. just such a shame because I knew they loved me. Well, later on in life, we had the opportunity to invite in our home my grandmother. Oh, wow. And she lived with us uh, in her declining year, and uh, she had Alzheimer's and uh, would repeat things, you know, right, a lot. Right. And, and uh, you know, occasionally could be a little bit challenging, yeah. you know, particularly for my wife. But my wife endured. We had a great year together before she passed away. I'm so grateful for that. It just made up for so many uh, childhood experiences that I wish that I could have had. I did have um, with her in that final year. Was, well, and it, your it children probably learned stuff that you couldn't teach any other way. Compassion, they, patience, just a little bit about their history. They did, yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, you say it's it's about, it's not about kind of what we have, it's kind of who we have and who we are with. Mm -hmm. um, what should we just as listeners do to make sure we are, we're supporting this, this spirit of sociality, this spirit of, um, of, I don't know, of just looking out for each other. Sure. Well, I just watched a TED Talk kind of on this, and it was like psychological health checkup. Yeah. And uh, emotional health, we just know now, is, is as important to physical health. And so there are things that we can do to increase our relationship trust again. And uh, trust is a delicate thing. Yeah. And, and, and to re establish that trust to overcome some of the hurts that we've had in our past can be very, very difficult and very, very beneficial. And so to actually plan to make time to work on our emotional issues, to overcome them, to forgive, to have a little bit more humility, these are timeless yeah. uh, principles that societies have been talking about forever, going back farther than Confucius. And we're grateful that when we apply them, they actually work. It's amazing. <laughs> right? It's true. And so it's just taking time to make them work, to forgive, yeah. to let go of past hurts, to reconnect, to reestablish trust. We do that with – we get up and people get up and go exercise and they go to a gym to go they're, – they're already in the routine to protect themselves physically. Yeah. We just need a similar routine, don't we, and a, a similar kind of fervor. To protect our our emotional health. Exactly. That constant reminder, this is just as important to me and I'm not going to get caught up in the rat race at work and I'm, I'm going to take some time to have some balance. That's great. I will have a better work life. I'll have a more productive work life. Yeah. I'll actually get more done at work and research has also shown that, that if I'm connected with people in the workplace, I am more productive. You produce, yeah. And uh, more valued, more likely to be promoted, et cetera. On the flip side, if we're not necessarily feeling lonely ourselves, we know people who are. That's it, huh? On Facebook, you've got at least three people that are kind of sending cries for help. Yeah. You know, they are constantly posting you can things. See you're like, that's you know? weird. <laughs> and you're like, you know, yeah. uh, so and so might need a little bit of connecting right now. <laughs> it's funny because those are the ones you want to avoid because, yeah, they're being weird. But those are the ones that are crying out for To it. actually reach out to them. That's exactly right. It's amazing. Well, Professor Timothy Smith, we appreciate you. Um, great work. And 
Is there a way they, they can just go Google you? If they Google you, BYU and Professor Timothy Smith, you've got other great articles, wonderful stuff out there. Is that good? Is that the best way to reach you? Sure. Yep. We appreciate you. Great, uh, great insight. Folks, I mean, think about it right now. Think of one person that you need to go connect with. Anybody come to mind? One person that you think might be out there lonely, alone, suffering, sad, or just not with people. Let's make a commitment to go out and visit those people today. Professor Timothy Smith, uh, again, from the Department of uh, School of Education, Department Chair of Counseling, Psychology, and Special Education. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, uh, we'll do a little Coach's Corner, talk more about relationships, ways we can strengthen our trust in those relationships. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting research from Dr. Timothy Smith about loneliness. So think that through, folks. Do you feel lonely? It's not enough to just be physically, you know, have no one around you. That's not just the point. Sometimes, And it's not just the feeling of lonely. Did you know that the people around you are impacting your health that much? I mean, we always kind of joke, yeah, he's killing me. He's killing me. But actually not having somebody around might be uh, doing more d- damage for your your life, your health, your longevity than um, even having them around. So if you have a tendency to just avoid and get away from people, I, it makes sense. I like to be alone. My favorite, I talk about it on the show all the time, I love my drive, believe it or not, to work. As do I. Do you like it? Love it. How long is your commute? About 40 minutes. Yeah. So I'm about 31 minutes. But I'm not alone. No. I have my podcasts. Do you always turn something on? I have friends that are talking to me, informing me, and discussing things, you know? I like to go about 10 minutes with nothing. I can't do that. Really? I'll just hear the road. You hear the the grind of the highway as you're driving down the road. Well, but isn't that great? No. I want information. You just kind of want to be lulled to sleep. I have a hard time sitting in silence. Do you? I have to have noise. Yeah. You know, that's a sign of a major psychological My, my wife will come home and there'll be a radio or a stereo just playing in the in, in a room. Huh. And she goes, why? And I go, it, even if it's downstairs, you can hear it just sort of lightly through the house just so there's noise. That's- silence bugs me. That's interesting. I think that there's probably a lot of people out there that are like, yeah, I'm like you, Terry. I need to have sound around all the time. I hope so. I don't want to be, you know, the, well, you're the one completely specific individual. The but issue. what would happen if you were just like, if you were forced to, just forced to be I in start, silence? I start fidgeting. You get twitchy. My wife will do it just to see what happens sometimes. <laughs> or she takes my phone. The same thing. You take my phone away. I have to do something. I have to have something that seems to be... You know, going on, and yeah. I can either listen to or physically hold or do or something. Even sitting and reading a book, I can do that because something's happening. But but you also you do you but you like being alone. Yeah, I have a tendency to try to. I don't you know I don't reach out and try to yeah. go associate with people. Oh, I make my wife so mad. 
because I just want to be alone. Yeah. And she's not even alone. Like she'll like, hey, you want to go for a walk and then go to this open house thing and then just talk. We'll just be there for 10 minutes. Now, I know she's lying. Yeah. You're like, no, I don't want to do that. Like my wife, she wants to go square dancing. China. I'm like, no. Head to China. She, when we were dating, she always wanted to go salsa dancing. Your wife's a dancer. I'm like, no, well, not really, but she likes to do it. Well, do you oblige? No, do you... I, I did a couple times. Hey, but Terry, get just, out of yourself, man. I can't do it. I want you to go do it for her, and I want you to video it so we can all watch. I know. That's the problem is that someone's <laughs> going to video this. But you, that, that's, my wife's the same way. She would love to take like a ballroom dance class. But even, even something like, you know, friends invite you over oh, yeah. for hey, the evening. Come over and play games. I'm like, ah, play your own games. I've got my DVR and yeah, I've got things that. to do. <laughs> but see, that probably means that you and I fit what we call the curmudgeon class. Right. And we will probably I've die when that. we're 70. Well, that's a long life. <laughs> 70 years old? Come on. But your wife will remarry, probably a square dancing, salsa dancer kind of guy. And then she'll get a good solid, what, 10 years of run on that, and then she'll die too. So, My wife uh, the other night just said, I, I'm not attracted to this guy, but it's just fun to see this. And she just named a guy, how social he is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, why don't you go marry him? Why don't you go marry him? <laughs> You're like the marriage counselor at that no, point. Just go really? marry him. Really? You... She's like, I'm not saying I'm attracted to him. I just think that that's neat that he's just always out there like that. Yeah. So what, what, what she's saying is he's more fun than you. Yeah, which is totally true. No, she didn't say that. Yeah. But she said That's that. what she meant. Yeah. So how do you take that information, Matt? I just say, you're fat. Leave me alone. Oh, no, wow. So that's rude. So you don't yeah, say that. Yeah, no. So I'm trying to teach what you don't do. Okay. There's so the you, bad example. Okay, there's the bad example. Rewind. You don't say that. No, but I just try to understand. So you, what she wants is that I am more outgoing. And now the irony of the whole thing, though, is if I did that, she she would probably like it in a way, but it would also obligate her to a level she's never been obligated to. Like we don't have a lot of people come over to our house because that's then you got to clean and do all this stuff, and you got to be hosts and hostesses and. She doesn't want to do that either. No. You but want to be the guest, if I right? was this guy, we'd have to do that every night. Yeah. We do it all the time. Come on. Hey, just – we don't have any food. We'll just run and grab some stuff. Just come on over. We'll play games tonight. If I did that, my – she'd be like, what the – Yeah. The house isn't even clean. Like, See, and I get, get annoyed. And clean the house. I get annoyed when someone knocks on my door. Oh, yeah. Like, what are you doing? Don't knock on my door. Our no. whole family just scatters. The minute the door knocks <laughs> – Everyone in the family scatters. Dive behind couches. No one saw me. And it's really much just my wife that answers the door. Yeah. Because she's the one that is like really curious. We're not curious. See, We're and, avoidant. And my problem is my wife has this tendency to, uh, when, when her day's done, no matter what time it is, pajamas. Oh, just get comfortable. Love done, that. And then I have to answer the door. Yeah. I come up with excuses as to why I'm not coming outside. <laughs> <laughs> I just go get on my moo-moo. Moomoo's are comfortable. I just have a moomoo, like our, uh, Homer Simpson. Homer. <laughs> Homer did that. He went on what workers' comp and yeah. had a moomoo. It was great. Gained like uh, 500 a man pounds. Moo. I, I think it's a man moo. <laughs> moo. Uh, isn't it funny? We're, we're different. Now, here's the deal, though. There's people out there that need your call. They need you to come help them. They need you to come talk to them. We can't just let people be alone. We also don't need to torture them. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, When we come back next hour, great topic. We're going to be getting into 
you know, how to, uh, how to, how to move on, how to create change in your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. everybody welcome to the matt townsend show we're in the third hour my friends top of the morning to you i am your host dr matt townsend your coach your guide on the side we do what we can on this program to help you live longer and love stronger and also lead lead the ones you're with we've got to start leading our lives a lot more uh earlier uh in the last hour we we talked about the importance of not being lonely and not even being alone and, and the impact that has on your health. I mean, like we talked about, it's it's like being obese. If you are alone, it is the equivalent of obesity. To the impact it's going to have on your physical health, you will you're you're going to lose years. Simply because you're not around people. Today, uh later in the show, we're gonna be talking to Lisa Ferenc, and uh she is uh She's going to be teaching us about destructive behavior, self-destructive behaviors. And uh, every, you know, everybody's heard of somebody that has these really you know, difficult habits or um, mechanisms of coping that are self-destructive, you know, cutting on themselves um, or, you know, some pull their hair out, some, uh, you know, do drugs, alcohol, and they're doing it all as a way to kind of to just heal, I guess, or feel less of the pain they're going through. So she uh, is going to walk us through how to, uh, how to, how to handle that and how to, how to let go of some of these self-destructive behaviors. She wrote a workbook of hope and healing. We'll be talking about that coming up. We've also, uh, we've talked about uh, that tragic plane crash, 150 souls. uh, The French Alps. In the French Alps. It's just tragic. And you just see school kids, 15, 16 kids that were on a, a little study abroad and tragic, just gone, just gone. And again, it might be one of those situations where you just never know exactly what happened, but they're just scattered on the mountainside, debris everywhere in a remote area that you can hardly get to. So, I mean, you think about the difficulty of life in this world and then you throw a tragedy in there and you're like, oh, man, see, it could get so much worse. So we'll get into that a little bit later as well. Any uh, headlines that we just that are pressing? Anything we've got to focus on? Huh. Senator Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Just reading texts on my phone here. Pardon me. No, that's good. Senator Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, casting himself as a pragmatic politician. Yeah. Can't, he can't even use the Internet. Doesn't who, use the Internet. Or email or. Yeah. Or unlike any of his peers, won't tell people things they emotionally want to hear that I don't think are going to happen. <laughs> That's good. Pragmatic. Even though he understands why other lawmakers are miffed with the president, the likely 2016 candidate said in an interview that he thinks it is still necessary to channel that frustration to get realistic assessments of how we solve these problems. You can't govern the country based on being angry. No, I think we've tried that for years. That didn't work. 
That's very pragmatic. You can't govern by being angry. Let's get some results. Use all of the same energy to go get results instead of continually fighting against it. I mean, I think Ted Cruz has learned. You can't fight Obamacare. It's your provider. As it's just, what's providing. As he soon will sign up for it. That's right. Now, it's, in it's other the news, real deal. over the weekend, President Obama called out Senate Republicans for delaying the vote to install the new Attorney General nominee, Loretta Lynch, over a dispute about the human trafficking bill. Ah, We talked about that yeah, last week. We did. The, the, the trafficking bill, something both sides agree on until the last week when it, it, it appeared that uh, there's a... An, an abortion provision or something yeah. in there, an anti-abortion provision. The Democrats uh, kind of look like they didn't read the bill. Mm-hmm. And they accuse the Republicans of tossing that provision in just to kind of foul up the, the process. And the Republicans said, it's been in there from day one. Why yeah. didn't you read it? And they're like, uh, right, reading stuff. That's our job. <laughs> so that's been going on. So Obama, in an interview with the Huffington Post, that the, the he's talking about this the uh, the vote to confirm Lynch has been delayed for 130 days. Hmm. He said, "If you guys don't like Eric Holder, the best way to get rid of him is to give us his replacement." <laughs> so vote on this. He has to throw his own guy under the yeah. bus to get his new person in. That's Ma- classic. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that the Attorney General nominee won't get voted until Senate Democrats agree to pass the human trafficking bill, but Democrats have refused citing concerns about the provision about. Uh-huh. Limiting abortions involved with the bill. Well, you can see the connection. No. We're not going to pass the the Justice Department head, the secretary, because of another bill. They're not connected, but it's just hostage taking. Yeah. And that's what they call it. Uh, President Obama called it. They're holding that appointment hostage over an unrelated situation. Man alive. And that's why we have an attorney general who's on the way out and one mm-hmm. that's been nominated. But for 130 days, everything's just been stopped. But So this. if this doesn't work, then Obama says, OK, look, here's what we'll do. You think she was bad? You think Lynch was bad? Yeah. I'll get you well, bad. They don't have a problem with Lynch. <laughs> I know, but they're just holding it up. They're just holding it up. So, <laughs> And this goes back to governing the country based on anger. It's not productive. See, this is, why, this is self-destructive politics. It hurts everybody. That's why we're talking about self-destructive. They need to listen to our next guest. Holy cow. You watch YouTube videos? Uh, every day. You, the, you, uh, you follow a lot of video game commentators no. I've followed, I, I've noticed. No. I walk in your office, World of Warcraft is on, and there's some guy like narrating what's no. happening. That's just what I put on when I'm sleeping. Okay. It's background noise. Background noise. A lot of cat videos? Love cat videos. Okay. You can't get enough of those. Autoplay yeah. on YouTube is a headache for a lot of people. I've noticed. It's a you're, trick. You're trying to watch a video, and you just want to watch that one video, and then all of a sudden it kicks to the next video. Yeah. YouTube, which has been testing this feature since late last year, now has enabled autoplay for all desktop users. That means after watching a video on YouTube, you will be served a related video based on your viewing history, and that video will start playing automatically. I've I've had to sit there forever because I couldn't turn off the autoplay. There, up in the uh, upper right hand corner of the page, there's a switch. If there's a green check, you've you've said okay, just automatically play the next one. You can turn that off. But what if I want they a constant flow of cat videos? Then just turn it on, and it'll just keep running. That's kind of sneaky. Yeah, 
you have to opt out. Because they added that after the fact. Last week. See, but that doesn't seem right. It seems like they should have to send us a note saying, would you like to opt into autoplay? But they don't. They just snuck it on to our desktop It's thing. better for their business I'm if it sure keeps it playing because it'll play the next ad yeah. and then the next video. That's how Netflix works. That's Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Taking the Netflix they, approach. There are, uh, Netflix tries to get you to binge watch by just it's playing the so next easy. video. They give you 10 seconds to decide, am I going to watch the next one? Should I eat? Should they I ought to sleep? give you like 20 seconds so you can go grab a burrito <laughs> you and can get pa- back. You can hit pause, I mean. Yeah. No important decision can be made in 10 seconds. My wife and I watched, what was it, 24? Yeah. We're just watching some episodes of 24 and the clock ticks. She really only watched two. Well, right. But the clock starts ticking, starts the episode and goes through the whole thing. And at the end, the clock's ticking and then it starts ticking again. You don't, you're like, oh, are you going to get up? You're, oh, it's oh. ticking again. You sit back down. You watch like we five watch episodes. The next one. <laughs> and we're like, what happened to Saturday? We just, you know. That's a nightmare if you're like a pleaser. Because then you just you can't ever stop. No, no. Oh, ah, I better sit no, back you down. Go ahead, you go ahead. It's a brilliant move. It really is. We should do some psych- psychological testing on this. Uh. Facebook and Twitter have also done this with their videos. You can go in and dig down into the settings and find the little switch to turn it off. But it, you you have to do some uh, some detective work to find it. I mean, they don't make it easy. No, it's like the old AOL model where they would so embed AOL into your system that you could never get it out. It's just a trick. It's just something. Now this is just a trick. It's for your convenience, Matt. That's what they say. It's a convenient trick. It's like, no, that chip we implanted underneath your skin, it's for your benefit. Yeah, right. You're tracking me. So there you go. That's interesting. Go into YouTube. If you don't want to see the next video, flip the little switch up in the right-hand corner. It'll stop it. That's great advice. Or it'll just play. The things you learn on this show. And you'll watch 20 you. cat That's videos in a row. 20? Yeah. What, are you only going to watch for an hour? I don't watch at all, but go ahead. I mean, <laughs> do what you need to do. I, I go all day. I could watch cat videos all day. Or Nothing. TED Talks. You watch oh, TED Talks? I'd rather do TED Talks. But TED Talks on cats? Huge. Cat Talks. Uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, uh, Lisa Ferentz is going to be joining us. She's got, uh, she wrote a book, Treating Self-Destructive Behaviors in Trauma Survivors, a clinician's guide. She's going to walk us through how we can kind of uh, improve ourselves if we're stuck in some of these self-destructive behaviors, or if you know somebody who is. Listen up, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have somebody in your life, uh, your family circle, somebody you care about deeply that engages in self-destructive behavior? Um, Are they, you know, are they harming themselves? Are they cutting on themselves? Are they are they are they just doing things that that hurt them themselves? And have you just not known what to do about it? So we've asked a great expert to join us. Dr. Lisa Ferentz is joining us, and she is 
Um, she's uh, the author of the book Treating Self-Destructive Behaviors in Trauma Survivors, a Clinician's Guide. She's also written the book uh, Letting Go of Self-Destructive Behaviors, a workbook of hope and healing. She, um, You can find her at the website, which is the Institute for Advanced Psychotherapy Training and Education. Just also go to her other, uh, another website, lisaferentz.com. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you for having me on. You bet. It's It really is an important issue because these behaviors are, I mean, they're extreme, uh, for, but it could be anything from like an eating disorder, a self-destructive behavior it could be an eating disorder, some addictions, self-mutilation, but secrecy, def, you know, lying. Teach us what's going on that would drive somebody to, to want to harm themselves. Well, first of all, I'm very glad that you identified things beyond just cutting. Yeah. Because typically when people, you know, when people hear the term self-destructive or self-harm, they immediately jump to the idea of cutting. And as, as you just described, there are unfortunately many manifestations of self-destructive behavior. And they do encompass all of the eating disorders, anorexia and binging and bulimia, any kind of addiction that can be substance abuse or alcohol. That can also be an addiction to the internet or a sexual addiction, mm. and then certainly any access of self-harm to the body. Um, so what's going on? What's going on, and this is going to sound very counterintuitive, I think, initially to your audience, is that people are doing these behaviors in an attempt to feel better. And, of course, on the surface, that doesn't really make sense, right? Because right. Why, would hurting, why would hurting your body in some way help you to feel better? But there's a couple of things that are involved in this. And... The first is the idea that when you harm the body, you're actually releasing something called endorphins. And those are naturally occurring opiates in the brain. And so when people engage in these behaviors, they do get this temporary feeling of euphoria. Um, and it's also a really big distraction for them. Yeah. So if there are deeper issues, and I believe there always are, there are deeper sources of pain and often trauma underneath the behavior, then these behaviors serve as a way to distract the person away from having to face or feel or deal with those deeper sources of pain. Um, It's also numbing. You know, people eat to the point of exhaustion or eat to the point of actually sort of checking out or what we call dissociating. So there's a numbing, there's a distracting. And in the short term, that does feel better because it's taking them away from that deeper stuff. Wow. So I think, yeah, so I think what's going on is that for people who do these behaviors, and it's millions of people, and it's it's males as much as it is females, and it's cuts across all socioeconomic lines and, you know, racial lines. It's, it's not limited to any one group of people. These are folks who either have unresolved trauma, abuse, or neglect from the past, or they have some kind of very difficult pain experience that's not been resolved for them. And I believe that they use these behaviors as a way to actually try to communicate to people around them that they are in pain. And they're also using these behaviors to try to sort of regulate all of those painful, difficult emotions that they don't know how to regulate in healthier ways. And and it seems like as parents, we wouldn't we don't understand it because it is kind of counterintuitive. You hurt yourself to actually feel better. Um, but the, the, yeah. it seems like a natural tendency of of many might be to just demean it, to embarrass their child, shame their child, coerce their child, overwhelm their child. 
uh, but which which it seems like would only make it worse. You're exactly right, Matt. And, and I think just, you know, I think it's important for us to normalize that that litany of things that you just went through, you know, shaming and cajoling and um, bargaining and negotiating. Those are the normal responses, you know, that would come from a, a spouse or a, a sibling or a parent because those people are genuinely afraid, right? Yeah. They care deeply about the person. They see that they're doing something that's definitely unhealthy and destructive to their bodies. And so, you know, oftentimes we react from a place, even though it's well-intended, we act from a place of anxiety or we act from a, a place of fear. And so it does come across as shaming the person. And as you're suggesting, not only does that not work, but actually it exacerbates the problem. It makes it worse because now that person not only is trying to reconcile their pain, now they have a new layer of pain because they feel the shame. They mm. know that they are letting down their family. They know they're worried that their spouse may really disconnect from them. Um, they, their friends may, you know, they may be ostracized from their friends. So now there's even more pain and trauma on board, which increases the likelihood that that person is going to again resort to the self-destructive behavior as a way to try to cope. So you can see it becomes like this vicious cycle. And don't we even? I mean, it's one thing to kind of be, I guess, a lay person who doesn't know what we're doing, you know, inflicting some pain. But aren't there even some treatments that we do or we use where we we even add more pressure to the person that's being treated as well? We we make it, I don't know, we, we obligate them. We kind of try to get them to just shift their thinking instead of just re, re, instead of getting to self-compassion and, and loving themselves. We just kind of try to create more of a structured solution. You're exactly right, Matt. And, and to be honest, that was my whole motivation behind writing the first book that I wrote a couple of years ago, where I was really trying to speak to mental health professionals, because this is, as you can imagine, this is a scary issue, even for mental health professionals to deal with. You know, a teenager comes into your practice, and they find the courage to tell you that they're cutting themselves, or you're working with a 35-year-old woman who's purge, binging and purging. And what happens is this creates a very normal kind of anxiety in the therapist, right? Mm-hmm. And the therapist's intention is, i got to get this person to stop doing this as quickly as I can. So the traditional approach to all of these behaviors has been something called a standard safety contract. This has been around forever, where the therapist, again, with good intentions, will say to their patient, in order for me to continue to work with you, you have to sign this contract, and this con- in this contract you're agreeing that between now and the next time I see you, you're not going to do your self-destructive behavior. Hmm. And what has happened traditionally is that this actually creates a terrible power struggle, as you can imagine, yeah. between the therapist and the client. And in my personal experience, going back, you know, I've been in private practice over 30 years, but really started to look closely at these issues about 20 years ago. And I was doing what I was trained to do, which was, you know, make them sign that contract. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, there were many therapists back then who literally would stop seeing a patient, you know, if they did not comply with that contract. But what I noticed over and over was that not only did the contract not work, but that these folks began upping the ante and they began to hurt themselves more. Oh, interesting. Because in it, right? Because I had inadvertently set up this power struggle yeah. and they were determined to show me that I was going to lose that power struggle. Even by hurting that, themselves yeah. more. 
Oh, interesting. You got it. That's right. Because because in the mind of somebody who's doing this, that's in their control. Yeah. Right? So here I am as a therapist trying to take the control away from them by telling them what they can and can't do, or by even inadvertently shaming them by letting them know that they can't stay in a relationship with me unless they're compliant and do what I want them to do. And so, of course, they're going to retaliate, whether this is consciously or unconsciously, you know, by exerting whatever power they have which yeah. is hurting the body. That's right. So, yeah, so it became really clear to me years and years ago that this was just not working. Yeah. And that's what really inspired me, you know, to, began to, take, to begin to take a closer look at, like, what are we missing in the mental health field, you know, as we attempt to deal with these issues? Lisa, let's and do I'm this. Wondering... Can we take a break? Because I want to sure. come back and have you answer sure. that and teach us what are we missing and how should we approach them if you know instead of just creating a contract uh, or even as a parent trying to control this that then creates the controlling battle let's uh, let's come back right. and talk about how to help teach self compassion and, and what are some things we can just do with our own children and how can we find the right uh, caregivers that can that can maybe find a more compassionate approach um, to, to getting through this very, very difficult self-destructive behavior. We'll take a break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM, 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. The Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we are talking about uh, the a really difficult topic for many uh, self-destructive behaviors that we may see in the people we love. Uh, it may turn into eating disorders. It may be that they're cutting on themselves. Um, even just other addictive behaviors. Joining us is Dr. Lisa Ferentz, and she is teaching us about how to handle and, and at least begin to recognize and understand this pattern. Part of the pattern she's already taught us is they might, they're hurting themselves. One reason is so they feel better. It generates endorphins. It creates the pain they're inflicting actually creates pain uh, chemicals that will actually make them feel better. Um, it also creates that release that they need. Lisa, welcome back to the show. Thank you. And thanks for just uh, teaching us this. Um, what what else can we do as family members? We we don't necessarily want to go in and control this and try to like take them on, or it might you know turn into a a, a game of kind of cat and mouse where they have to hurt themselves to gain control. What are some things we could be doing as parents, um, and then just teach us how how we go about getting the help we need? Sure. So I I do think there are some important kind of do's and don'ts in terms of how loved ones can. Um, approach this. I, I want to first normalize that, of course, this is going to create a lot of anxiety and, and fear and even anger, and, and, and that that makes sense. Yeah. But what doesn't make sense, and you and I have already alluded to this, is to approach that person from um, by trying to motivate them through guilt, by saying, if you loved me, you'd stop doing this. Um, that will always backfire. Um, what won't work is to use shame or humiliation. I also think it does not work to say to somebody, you're sick. Um, or you need help. Believe it or not, that doesn't work. Because typically people get really defensive, you know, (laughs) when they hear you're sick or you need help. And in fact, unfortunately, in our field, so many people 
um, make these behaviors synonymous with, with being crazy. And from my perspective, these are not crazy people at all. So what does help, instead of saying um, you need help or you're sick, is to say you deserve support. And I think that that's a much less um, defensive way to, to broach the subject. And it's also a way to communicate that you care deeply about your child or your partner's well-being um, and that they deserve support because they really, really do. Um, I think it's important to communicate a sense of optimism and hope. I wrote the workbook really to help people buy into the idea that there are other ways to comfort yourself. There are other ways to tell your trauma narrative. There are other ways to self-soothe. And we can't expect, we talked before about the, that safety contract, we can't expect people to just simply give up these behaviors. And I think that's an, an important thing for parents to hear. Their child's just not going to give up the behavior because you've asked them to. Right. Um, they, need, they need replacements. They need other ways to accomplish what that self-destructive behavior has been doing for them. And that's where my workbook, I have found, has been incredibly helpful for people because it gives them all kinds of strategies to learn how to communicate their pain, to short-circuit uncomfortable feelings, and then to self-soothe in ways that, that are genuinely healthy. I love, so, I love you know, that idea. I mean, just real quick, I love this idea that yeah. um, just the phrase, you deserve support, um, yeah. they, they have a coping mechanism. It, it's not healthy and it doesn't work because it's self-destructive, but for them it works. And to just say you got to stop it, we, they need other tools, yeah. don't they? Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's, again, that's what the workbook is really about, we, you know, because people – because they want to feel better. And that's, that's a sign of good mental health, right? Right. To want to, to, want to feel better is, is a positive thing. It's just obviously the pathway that they're using to try to achieve that is something that winds up being destructive and it winds up really belittling their sense of self-worth and increasing their sense of shame. So when we talk to parents, when I talk to parents about getting support for their kids or, again, because this is also an adult issue for, you know, a spouse or a partner's, uh, a partner who's engaging the behavior. It's really important that that we empower people to interview therapists and to really listen to their mindset about these behaviors. So, for example, if somebody is throwing around the term borderline, hmm. don't see that therapist right. um, because that's such a that's such a pathologizing way to look at the behavior. So, terms like this is mental illness or this is you know borderline, rather than a therapist who can reframe the behavior and say these are creative coping strategies. Yes, they're not healthy, and yes, the goal is to teach the person healthier ways. And the intention is something that's actually quite creative. And so that's the mindset that you're looking for. You're looking for a therapist who will not do safety contracts because I'm just telling you they don't work. And so um, you want somebody who has that flexibility and understands that that's really not the way in. I I think one of the best antidotes to shame is compassion. You've used that word today. Compassion is self-compassion. I think you're totally right. So you want to work with a therapist who gets the concept of compassion, who can be compassionate towards you for the issues that you struggle with, and who's also willing to teach you, the patient, about the concept of self-compassion. Because if you love yourself, it no longer resonates to hurt yourself. No, it's so true, and it seems like you're finally, um, you're finally, 
by loving them and, and, and being a, a kind of somebody that's a, a more of a proponent of self-compassion instead of just kind yeah. of rule implementation and just gain the character to overcome this, it, it seems like you create a softer space for them to, uh, to find their way out of, um, of, the, of the conversation or of the situation. Uh, Lisa, we so appreciate you and the insight that you give. This really is such a touchy thing. I, I highly yeah. recommend that, that they go, they've got to go to your website and look at your books because um, letting go of self-destructive behaviors, a workbook of hope and healing, that seems like such a powerful tool as well as also treating self-destructive behaviors in trauma survivors. If you're a therapist, that's the tool you're going to want to to go be looking for. Go to her website, lisaferentz.com. We appreciate you, Lisa, and um, everybody out there in listener land. These people, they're trying. They're trying to find a way to get through their self-destructive behavior. I mean, their pain using self-destructive methods. Don't add more pain. Don't add more intensity. Don't hate them. Just love them and tell them help them understand that they deserve support and there are healthier ways and you want to help them find healthier coping mechanisms and then find somebody that can really deliver on that. We appreciate uh, you listening. We're going to take a break and come back. We, we got BYU Sports Nation. Our good friends uh, Spencer and Jerem are going to be joining us telling about what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Right now, I'm just enjoying a, a wonderful throwback video <laughs> from 2009 featuring Spencer Linton, who is working it like a puppet on an in-sync throwback video. Hey, uh, Spencer, Jerem, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yo! Friendship B- over. BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> hey, you know why I brought that up, Spence? We were we were talking before uh, with a guest talking about self destructive behaviors, <laughs> and then I thought of you, and I thought, well, there you have it, just a little self destruction. Here's the thing: you said 2009, that was made in 2000. Yeah, I was thinking that seemed too close, but I guess you didn't post it till I guess until 2000. That's it probably when you posted it. On, I didn't post it, by the way. No, whatever. Whoever did, Johnny Baker. <laughs> but you know what? You. Is, what's amazing? Yeah, Johnny. Johnny Classic Baker. Classic high school name. You know what's interesting? You do have 1,095 views. And That's it. a thousand of those are Matt Townsend and Jerem Jordan. <laughs> That's exactly. I've only watched it 400 times. <laughs> oh, Jerem. Now, Jerem, you don't do anything that's self-destructive. Well, the hair. Yeah, I was going to say. But you were trying to motivate people. Listen, it, it took that to get BYU ready to go against Gonzaga. So you it was did it. worth the sacrifice. No, I These think... are the sacrifices that build the BYU Sports Nation kingdom. <laughs> fiefdom. It's a fiefdom. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I checked upstairs. They're calling, your, they're calling your geographic area like a fiefdom. I'll take it. That's pretty good. Yeah. We don't even have a dumb. We're just dumbless. We're just a fife. <laughs> we are dumbless. We're, we're dumbless. Hey guys, we're so dumbless. <laughs> we are so dumbless. Is it? D- does sports slow down? Like it, no. se- it seems like I'm having. You know, I'm waiting for the NCAA tournament. I guess the women are still battling. 
in the NCAA today, aren't they? they? Uh, well, BYU specifically? No, just in general. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Yep. The tournaments uh, go for about four weeks each. So, what are you doing? I mean, what do you do for sports every day? Well, Jerem has gone into seasonal depression mode. <laughs> sports seasonal depression. Yeah. No, there, if if you're only a BYU football and basketball fan, there is a big gap. Yeah. But if you enjoy some of the other sports, baseball, softball, rugby, volleyball, cricket, and, lacrosse, lacrosse, yeah, and so on and so forth, you're going to get all the way into May. Um, with some of those, which is nice, because then, then what, what everyone do do? has June, July, August off. What do we do with you guys in those three months? Well, August is fall camp. Yeah. Okay. So June and July. Uh, June's media. Like we build it to yeah, media, media day, day for that's football right. in June. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a break where there's not games, but there's always things going on. Yeah. But and BYU if not, is we're constantly get, scheduling we're gonna, games, or yeah, or someone says something related to BYU yeah. that becomes news, and then we go off that, or we just bring in guests that are relevant. So that's the idea is that we're gonna we're gonna keep you entertained uh, all year. Maybe with, we and the show's only an hour. Yeah, it's only you an guys hour. have three hours to yeah. fill. Well, if we had see. to do three hours, it'd be a different. And the neat thing about story. our show, we just make stuff up. <laughs> hey, guys, that's our governing philosophy. <laughs> hey, we never wait, do wait, that. Wait a minute, you actually have to that. be legit. <laughs> hey, I'm thinking though, what we ought to do in July, just for everybody, is to have a pool day, where we just Ooh. go to the pool, we do our shows from the pool. We just get a tan. Okay, Sounds while we're while we're doing that, can we have like a theme park day and go to Lagoon and like ride roller coasters? Yes, theme park day. Let's just try to have one day. Yeah, we could just we could every day is just a different day, like field trips. <laughs> yeah, we'll go hike to Y one day. We'll take the BYU bus out. The Matt mm. Townsend summer tour. Summer tour. Summer camp. <laughs> Twenty fifteen. That would be great, and then we'll coach everybody on their relationships so they're nice and friendly, and that and they don't do self destructive things like an in sync video. I mean, <laughs> that's self destructive. Oh yeah, no, by cl- clinically, <laughs> clinically anything. I think at the time that helped Spencer's social game. Well, yeah, but... it ain't no lie. <laughs> in the end, it's it did cause his demise. That's true. Okay, so in the end, yes, but in the moment, like there was some serious, like wow, high you, school love. You've going got on some there. moves, man. Thanks, bro. Those I, words were just spoken. Everybody needs to go, <laughs> go on YouTube. Bye, 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 homecoming, boys. That's all you need to look up. Do we have the rights to play this? We, on BYU Radio, they yeah, do. I do because I also called Jonathan Baker. We're going to have him on the show tomorrow. <laughs> Good old uh, Johnny, Johnny Baker. Johnny, Johnny Baker. Johnny Baker, you rascal. That's Johnny so Baker sad. has no idea he's being discussed in BYU Radio right now. Hey, guys. That's the best part. What are you talking about on your show today? Johnny Baker. Well, it's clearly. interesting that you bring up, like, what do we talk about in the offseason? Well, as we mentioned, generally somebody of some notable publication will say something just because BYU's they're in the news, yeah. and the sporting news brought up seven college football games that should be played every year, and Ooh. BYU-Utah yeah. was one of those, uh, knowing that they will not play until September of 2016, so that got me thinking yesterday. Well, if BYU and Utah are not going to play a football game until September of 2016, what is the next biggest rivalry game that BYU will play hmm. until September of 2016? In any sport. In any sport. Well, it seems like Utah State's created problems for them for the last two years. Fact. So that, maybe that'll that be in the discussion. One. That yeah. is in the discussion. Exactly. Also in the discussion, Gonzaga basketball. Oh, for sure. Okay. And Utah basketball still plays against BYU. Where does that yeah. rank in this? That's right. Why are the football team, why is the U football team so afraid to play us? Come on. They went on a two year mission trip. That's it. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, they, they followed BYU behind. and they, they went on a two-year mission. We're not riding them either. You know, there's some other things. You know, Texas in any sport. Yeah. That's oh, I true. mean, wait, wait, wait. Texas, they have to win. They have to win at something against yeah, BYU so no. for it to be a rivalry. Is it Utah, Cal, rugby versus BYU? Ooh, rugby would be cool. Number one team in America. Volleyball. Yeah. Irvine is a uh, big rival that's coming up this weekend. That's huge. Yeah, there's a bunch. See, so you guys can. You've got a show. Oh, it's going to be. <laughs> oh, we've got a show, it's, Matthew. It's going to be juicy today, Doctor Matthew. Hey, by the way, if you need to, just go back to Bye 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 Homecoming Boys. And just play that like as an intermission, and that'll just bring back an incredible spirit, plus a, a view back to the 80s, early 90s probably, <laughs> that will change your life. Late okay. 80s. Noted. By Tearing way, up my heart. And it, just how you handled the stairs, Spencer, when you jump down the stairs and then you roll into a combat roll. Isn't that awesome? Amazing. You know, one of those trips was legitimate. I was think it's it? the one, in, I can't remember which one, but one of them was legitimate. I was like, wow, that, that looks really good. That's because it was real. There's a behind-the-scenes video um, that you should watch as well. This is big. You know what? This is uh, this is really big. This, If anybody wants a pair of Gerbo jeans <laughs> signed by Spencer Linton. I had my pants were, rolled up. They weren't Jankos? They were not Jinkos. No, that was but see Jinkos were popular after Jerbo, Jerem. You're more of a yeah. Fubu guy anyway. Oh you guys. Yeah. Good luck. Hey, have a great show today. Thanks, Matt. Bye bye bye. That's good stuff. No, it's not. <laughs> There's no way that's good. You know what? That was why it was good to kind of be raised when we didn't have video or as much video. There's no evidence of what you yeah. did? I made some really awesome videos in high school, but they lost them. Right. It's everyone's excuse. That's exactly what we're telling the investigators. You know. <sighs> bye, bye, bye. Those guys. By the way, who knew? Spencer's got moves. Do you see his hip flexor No, moves? no, I didn't. I did not. He's got jiggly knees. Viewer discretion is advised. Absolutely. Yeah, seriously. Hey, uh, great show today. We learned a lot. Tough stuff, too. We talked to, I mean, that, that airplane crash is just tragic, and there's no easy way to report it without, you know. More information on that. What, what have you got? Investigators said they had so far been unable to retrieve any data from the cockpit's, uh, the cockpit's voice data or voice yeah, recorder. That thing so was messed that up. That thing's messed up. And the inquiry has been hampered further by the discovery that the second black box, which was found on Wednesday, was severely damaged, and the memory card is dislodged and missing. Oh, no. So now somewhere on that mountain is the memory card. Is a memory card in some condition. It's either destroyed or it's just sitting there. Man. Uh, you know, you'd think if we could watch a television show or a movie on an airliner, you'd think that we could send all of that very same information back. So we're recording live back. Like to the cloud or something? To the cloud. I think that would be very difficult with a moving object. Well, I know. But again, I don't know if you've heard, but we've been to the moon. Yeah, but we so did, we did we that, with, solve that with problem. less technology that's on your phone. Now, don't, don't bring up my phone in this. <laughs> my phone didn't do anything to you. We just got to solve that problem. We need information about where these planes are, what's happening here. Uh, we had a great show today, too. Also, we talked to Patrick Egan about drones. Drones are, are – they're our friends. They're not here to do harm. It's the drone pilot that's the problem. No, he didn't say that. Uh, but drones – Well, he he sort of did. He the, said that, that, that drones need regulation and the biggest concern is safety. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about safety, then you're talking about the pilot. Yeah. And who's 
who's flying these things. And, and they need to be regulated. Let's get real. And yet most drones aren't out there killing people or no. surveilling and trying to spy on you. Most of these are just being run by some 14-year-old kid in the park. All used to be called a remote control airplane, RC. Right. And if that's the case, then there's probably no problem. Not He's problem. just playing around, no problem. But when they start flying it over your house, problem. flying it over streets, highways, freeways. And you know why it's a problem? Because these guys that fly drones, they're just lonely. Is that what it is? They're lonely. And the research on loneliness we talked about in the second hour basically shows that uh, if you are lonely or if you end up being alone in your life a lot, it is the equivalent of being obese or smoking 15 cigarettes a day on your health. And that's either by choice or if you're just socially isolated for some reason. It doesn't matter if you choose to do it or if people just have ostracized you like with James and just moved you out. He has no friends. It doesn't matter. Like we did today. That's why yeah. he's home. That's why Brandon's here. Brandon's our friend. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Um, and so, but loneliness, it's a big deal. We got to watch out for it. So we also have to watch out for those people that are, they're, that are out there on their own, that are lonely and, you know, just have no one. So if you know of somebody you care about, think about it. Who do you know that needs some friends, needs a connection, needs an invitation to come over to dinner? Give them a call. Let's uh, let's. It's almost like a telethon. Let's save a life. Get these lonely people into your circle. It's good stuff. And then we talked to Lisa Ferentz um, about self-destructive behaviors. Last thing we need is to have a control fight with somebody that's already in a destructive behavior. Ah, it's tough, folks. It's tough. We're out of here. This is it, my friends. The uh, those three hours go so fast. It's crazy. We'll be back tomorrow, Tomorrow, though. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead your lives in a healthy way. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio.